Hello there, listeners. Uh, welcome to episode number 19 of the Square Waves FM podcast. Ever, ever, ever so happy and pleased and grateful to have such awesome listeners joining us as always. Uh, my name is Brian, and with me is my co-host. Uh, it's your friend Chris. I'm uh, really, really glad to speak with you all again, and you yourself, Brian. How are you doing? Oh, ditto here. I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. I'm relieved that it's the weekend. Not that I worked terribly hard this week in particular, but uh, my my nice, fluffy, cushy bed feels a lot better than my uh, <laughs> relatively cushy office chair. I suppose. Can't complain. <laughs> How you been? I've been okay. Yeah, I've uh, I've been enjoying the beautiful weather out. I've I don't know, out here we're kind of going on this long, extended, uh, somewhat kind of scary drought, um, mm. and the prairies are kind of known for getting a lot less rain than most places, but uh, it's been it's been actually kind of shocking. We've had one rainfall since April, um, so that's, you know, I don't know what it's like for you in Toronto, but out here that's a little worrying, and my crops, um, I think I might have mentioned on one episode I've been vegetable growing vegetables for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um so those have been getting daily watered from the tap, which is not so great for for growing uh, intensive bed crops. So, uh, but at the same time, my lettuce is up and it's almost ready to eat, um, which is really fantastic. It looks amazing. I wish I could show you a photo. Hmm. Um, and all this non-gaming stuff doesn't really matter. All I can say is that it's really, really wonderful seeing my uh, crop getting a few inches high despite this terrible drought we're in and... I don't know if you guys can hear all the wind. It's really nice, windy, warm day out here. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. That's terrific. Oh, and if you want to relate it to uh, video games, you can call it Analog Farmville. Analog <laughs> Sim Farm, something like that. Okay, this is going to sound pathetic. Uh, <laughs> I, I hate admitting this, but one of the major reasons, like, oh, this is terrible. One of the major reasons I even got into doing this was literally because of Sim Farm. I thought you would say I, uh, something like that, but that's the whole <laughs> point of the software, right? That's the best possible compliment yeah, for it. Exactly. It's like it's. It turns out it was a, like a fairly good simulation. Of course, yeah, you can't do organic farming in Sim Farm, but I. Um, it. What happened was, I think it was like a year or two ago. I had bought. Um, must have been a couple of years ago. I bought um, Sim Farm from eBay and got this beautiful box copy, and I think I. I think I sent our friend Ben a photo of it because it's got some gorgeous artwork on it. And I, you know, just kind of put it aside. And I, I just loved having it on my shelf. And then this year, finally, it was wintertime and I was getting a, ah, just a little little blue from, from you know, getting locked inside for, for you know, uh, months at a time in the cold. And I, I grabbed this in farm manual and I started reading it. And it was just this fantastically written manual. Uh, it's like a 150-page manual. Whoa. And, uh, well, maybe not, maybe 100 pages. But about the last third of it is dedicated to the history of agriculture. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and I, I kind of got into it. I started reading about agriculture and about, you know, the, the Great Depression. And that sparked me to watch this amazing Ken Burns documentary called The Dust Bowl. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody else has heard of that one. Don't think so. Um, very, very good documentary. I'd recommend it to anybody. It's just like, it's just shocking to watch. Um, um, did you happen to see that movie Interstellar? No. Oh, okay. Um, it's a sci-fi kind of space thingy. Um, they actually have clips from uh, Ken Burns' Dust Bowl integrated into the movie, which is kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, kind of Sim Farm got me started, and then I read, watched the Dust Bowl documentary, and then I kind of did some more reading on it and I picked up a couple of great books on organic farming and one thing led to another and I started an organic farm bed. Um, 
Oh, so there you go, it, uh, How's it been with uh, insects? Any problems? Oh, um, you know what? It's interesting. I've I'm learning a lot. Um, at first, I was it was fine. The first few weeks were fine, and I got my sprouts up, and everything looked good. And then. Uh, I noticed my kale was starting to get a little withery, and then I noticed it was getting chewed up. Um, so I started looking around, and I don't know what was causing it. Um, I think it might be some type of uh, farmer ant, or sorry, farmer ant, carpenter ant, or black ant that's been chewing at the leaves. Mm. So I lost three of my kale, but then I was reminded by my very handy, amazing uh, organic farming book that the only time pests will really go after plants is actually when the plant is unhealthy already. Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we always think of, you know, like some, some things like caterpillars will just like chew through a tree that's healthy. But for the most part, the pests that you get in your garden, like um, ants and stuff like that, they actually only eat dead necrotic tissue. So they're actually just eating the dead stuff that's dying on the kale. Um, So that told me that there's something wrong with my soil. One thing led to another. I realized that my soil was lacking in a couple of nutrients, so I organically fertilized the thing, and sure enough, three of my ten kale survived and came back and thrived. So uh, I'm learning a lot, Um, and, you know, with organic farming, one of the difficulties is you don't use pesticides or herbicides or anything like that, and, and when you fertilize, you use very specific kind of fertilizers, so non non um, non-inorganic ones. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been pest-free, I think, since ever since then. And all my plants have grown in. My radishes are almost done. Everything's kind of just exploded out of the ground despite getting no rain. Oh, good job. That's really something. I, uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember now. You've reminded me of some video that I saw by accident on the Internet this week. It might have been, it might have been from Mozilla. Um, okay. Who is doing a lot of? Um, they're doing a lot of work uh, specifically for the third world and for impoverished countries and communities oh. and stuff like. Uh, their strategy, until very recently, as a matter of fact, has been to make the most inexpensive like uh, smartphones possible, and they're nothing right. really fancy, but they're they're extremely right. affordable. They have like thirty three dollars smartphones or something like that for uh, wow. the third world, and they did. They did a little bit of um, uh, their own kind of horn tooting a little bit, just uh, showing a case study of farmers that were in Africa that were on the internet for the very first time. And they started off by looking at different, uh, different matters having to do with their trade and speaking with other farmers in nearby, uh, in nearby like counties or whatever you call it, like like a hundred or 200 miles away. They, um, we're trading like tips with each other, and a, a lot of it was about uh, <laughs> fighting away pests and animals and stuff like that. And found that oh, some of the crops that they were already growing in other parts of their own farms could be like yep. uh, dried into a powder or something and ground ah. down and then sprinkled on those other plants. Gotcha. Which didn't it didn't do anything to do, to uh, dissuade the growth of the plants, but it uh, repelled right. some sorts of uh, herbivores some that didn't eat plant. that kind of. 
Yeah, that was just really oh. neat. So it was the sort of thing like they're they're <laughs> the kind of a culture that uh, they didn't really write anything down. It's just passed down from generation to generation, sure. and they become extremely efficient and very very good uh, figuring out things that even science hasn't figured out. But then when you add science to the mix from like the power of communication, then it's kind right. of like exponentially more effective. Of like farmers learning from their own lineage as well as from the ancestors of uh, their neighbors that they wouldn't have met otherwise. It was pretty inspiring. Oh, that's actually. fantastic. Wow, I, I have to see this. Um, it's it's actually kind of cool. Maybe one of the reasons I'm attracted to gardening so much, um, the, it was something I grew up doing, is because um, it, gardening really has remained to be a pretty word-of-mouth kind of um, training experience. Like, mm. whoever you grow up with gardening, you know, your parents or your, your, your friends or family, um, kind of teach you the way they understand gardening, the way they understand how to take care of flowers, how to take care of stuff. And, you know, almost everything I know came from my mom. Um, and, you know, I get books and stuff like that, but even the books that I read, they're not, it's funny, when I read them now, I realize, geez, these, none of these are set in stone. These are just, here's what worked for me. And I live in, you know, this one, um, this one fantastic book I'm reading right now um, is, uh, I think it's called The Intelligent Gardener. And it's a guy in Tasmania. And he's, been living in Tasmania. He's lived in the Cascade Mountain Range uh, in Oregon, um, and he talks about. He's like, you know what? Every every place I grow my vegetables tells a different story, and I the methods that work for me in Tasmania don't work for you in Cascadia. <laughs> and um, yeah, and and I really realized that he just wrote this book as a way of saying, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm just another vegetable farmer. Here's what worked for me in this very one specific place and I want to pass these tips on to you guys and you guys can try them on and see if they work in, you know, the prairies of Western Canada. Let me know. And, you know, he's very, he's very adamant that you email or call him. He puts his phone number in the back of the book. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's, and he's a great guy. I've listened to a couple of podcasts uh, with him on it. And, you know, he's just very good at making you realize, wow, this is a very small universe we live in. And mm-hmm. he says, you know, if you're having trouble with your garden, just, um, I think one of the things he says is, get a soil sample done, cost you about 20 bucks, and then email me the soil sample report and I'll email you back and let you know uh, what, what might be wrong with your garden. Oh, that's and, terrific. Uh, yeah, and it just really reminded me of that kind of, the, the attitude that these uh, third world farmers have. It sounds like very much the same kind of thing. I've never had any real interest in gardening. I grew like some carrots in a tiny little uh, garden when I was a little kid, and cool. that was about it. And I ate them; they were great. They were these thin little things. But I've never really been sure. that interested in it. But there's some radio show that I've listened to accidentally and just chosen not to turn off. And it's like a yeah. phone the expert sort of a thing where people describe the symptoms of their failing gardens, and this expert. Uh, oh this, yeah, like, very yeah, we have the same kind of thing guy. out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just tells them, you know, based on the symptoms, I think you should do this and that, and call sure. me back and let me know how it goes. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a, a a neat hobby. Why don't we? Yeah, why, don't we I, uh, why don't we rename our podcast the Square Root of FM podcast? <laughs> Square <is> Root. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a like a like a like some sort of plant disease. I've got Square Root syndrome in my plants. It does. I, uh, <laughs> so Mozilla is into making hardware now. Oh yeah. Well, that, I read another interesting thing about them that they want to kind of do an about face on their uh, on their strategy. Um, 
Uh, oh. and, it, and I'll tell you how this relates to a, a Seinfeld episode <laughs> as an analogy for this <laughs> sure. too. So they their strategy has been to make like the world's most inexpensive smartphones so that they can give people all yes. over the world their very first smartphones because this is kind of like the fundamental difference between Apple and Android as well, that Apple is going... Right for like the uh the luxury the market yeah. whereas android is trying to be extra accessible and so right uh google lately has been talking about like i think they said there's a billion people in the world with a smartphone now and android wow. is most interested in the quote unquote the next billion which means the more impoverished ah. countries and so ah. this has been interesting so that's exactly who mozilla has been focusing on it's all about making wow. money through volume not through like uh sure margins. sure so what Mozilla has now learned the hard way, which is a fascinating thing, is that even the people in the most impoverished countries do not want cheap smartphone hardware that <laughs> works, but just barely. Like the Mozilla phones, they have, oh, what's it called? There's two kinds of touch phone, touch screen Yes, there's capacitive, there's capacitive, capacitive and, and that's one. the crappy one, and oh. then there's the good, the, the good ones that are on um, Google phones. That's um, right. And, I guess capacitive is the one where it like detects how hard you're pressing something or whether you're pressing something. That's exactly something it. Yeah, you have to press pretty darn hard on a plastic screen and it's got a little built-in grid to know where you're pressing. That's right. So that's what the Mozilla phones have had and yeah, they're an especially small screen because the screens themselves cost sure. money. And so the combination of having to press down with some pressure and the screen being small makes it really hard to type. And so of it course. discourages people from communicating with each other, but it, it's fine for reading stuff, but it's still a really slow yes. process, or you can imagine what you get for a $33 smartphone. Yeah, sounds, sounds awful. <laughs> so they're about, they're, they've just decided right now to, uh, I think, triple the price or something of their smartphones, which will make it available to fewer people, but uh, it will, there are sure. some people that when they saw one, they're like, oh, I don't even want this. This is just, yeah. they can be more frustrated, even if it gives me opportunities. So they're going to go for something a little bit nicer. And what this reminded me inside of in Seinfeld was an episode where uh, they wanted to open a business where they sell just the tops of muffins and then give the bottoms of muffins <laughs> away to the poor for free. Yeah. And the poor, they're like, oh, we don't want the bottom of muffins, just the top. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that episode. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's like tur turns out, yeah, turns out no one wants your secondhand shit. Um, well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting actually. Um, that kind of it's it's easy to get locked into that way of thinking where, yeah, you know, you see Apple is you know the Apple is you know selling chic stuff to people who can for, afford an eight hundred dollar smartphone. Um, but as it turns out, you know, farmer. I knew this from living. I, I lived in a pretty impoverished areas as as a child and. Um, the people up there too, yes, of course they're impoverished and they barely make it day to day, but they've got taste. <laughs> you know, they, they may not have money, but they have taste. So they know the difference between a piece of crap and not a piece of crap. And my experience was that what they would tend to do is this is way up north um, amongst fishermen. Um, they would just save up. They would save up for like two or three years to buy something that might take the average person, you know, two months to save up for. Mm -hmm. Um, so the funny thing is they still buy the iPhone, you know, they, they would, you know, up north, they would still go for the expensive handset, A, because it works better probably, but B, more importantly, and just like anyone else in, um, in, in North America, they, or anywhere else in the world, um, it's something you can show off to other people. It's a bragging, you know, it's a bragging right. And, uh, you know, up, up north, the fishermen, the funny thing is they don't buy, uh, smartphones, they buy, um, 
They buy outboard motors for their boats, and they literally will spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on these things and then drive around the town showing off all these other fishermen, you know, the expensive toy they bought. Sure. So, you know, it's kind of funny that you realize that, uh, you know, prestige doesn't matter what income level you're at. Prestige still matters. Of course. And um, so did you did you get to see pictures of the $33 phone? Oh, I got to try one, in fact. Um, we had this... Oh, wow. I might, have, I might have talked about it on the podcast before. We had this, uh, my, my uh, workplace, which is a college, held this event called the Open Source Symposium last yes. year. And so um, Mozilla has been a, has had a really good partnership with our school because we have um, programming, uh, a really right. good programming uh, program in our uh, in our school. A few of them now, as a matter yeah. of fact. Um, right. And Mozilla has us participate in their in their projects. They have like competitions, and they have people who contribute to different areas of their code and stuff like that. As long as it's sure. open source. So they had somebody from Mozilla come to this event, and I went to that presentation, and it was an annoying presentation actually. Um, oh. the, the guy who held it, he was just a volunteer. I was hoping we would get an engineer or a programmer okay. or something. Right. He was some volunteer. And um, although he did some stuff for Mozilla, I can't even remember what, his, like, primary job was that he was, like, an improv comedian. And so he did all of this, like, oh, God. he had us do all of this participatory improv stuff, which when you're at a, a symposium of all programmers and network administrators, sure. it's, like, the last thing that people want to do. They just want to sit that there and awful. listen to data. So the only good thing <laughs> that came of it was that it was actually, well, two th- good things came of it. Um, which were both pretty memorable. Um, the first thing was that he passed around a bunch of these $33 Mozilla smartphones, which were kind of slow and crappy, sure. but the UI was nice, and, uh, okay. and they had a lot of different apps on them, and you could really picture, and they had really long battery life. You could sort of picture how oh, these would really wow. improve the lives of certain people sure. who had never had this sort of a thing before. So that was one good thing that happened. Yeah. The other good thing, the other memorable thing that happened was actually one of the improv things where... He introduced us, I don't remember what it's called now, he introduced us to this improv kind of icebreaker mechanism where you put a whole bunch of random words in a hat and everybody has to take two of them and combine them together into some sort of an improv routine or something like that. So we got into Ah. pairs... And oh, we took God, our two this things. is like team-building shit. It sounds awful. It was, except it was with strangers, so it's like the most inconsequential <laughs> BS ever. But this was, but I, I, I had a, in re, I hated being, doing it then and there, but in retrospect, it was, it worked really, really well. So the idea ah, was you take two, you take two uh, words out of the hat, and then you have to come up with an idea for a smartphone app using those two words. Um, oh so my god our, which is weird so our our words it's, it was so memorable that I remember it like seven or eight months later now our words were finger and pants finger pants so we're like okay finger pants what the hell is that are those like gloves or something do we make these like capacitive gloves but that already exists and so we kind of came up with the idea of your smartphones in your pants and you can like tap on your pocket where your smartphone is and you like do a series of taps to mean different things that would command your smartphone like two taps right. means put it on mute and one tap means take it off of mute or something like that so that was a that was kind of an engaging little conversation that I had with some shy stranger and I was a shy stranger myself there I suppose oh god it sounds painful. Uh, it was, all I could think was. about was like the episode of Simpsons where it's like, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, it's like uh, the Funzo episode where they're trying to market research inside the school, <laughs> <That's> and, <right. laughs> and they're getting the kids to like yell out names. It's like mm-hmm. Funzo, Attila the Fun, and That's they right. have somebody behind like smoked glass taking notes. I and know. <laughs> it's like Funzo. That's a lame name, and they're like. 
they end up using that as the name of the product anyway because their their marketing team is so poor at coming up with ideas. That's right. Uh, that oh, that has awful. one of my favorite Simpsons jokes of all time, actually, where like What's that? two of the kids have to come up with names for it, and one girl's like, yeah. Mrs. Fun? And he's like, no. <laughs> and then <laughs> what, is, what does Ralph say? Fun? Oh, fun? <laughs> it's the answer fun, fun, it, it's fun. Yeah. like It's like, if you don't pipe down, I'm giving you an F. <laughs> That's right. And he's like, it's like, like before teacher, before teacher yelled at me, too. <laughs> Like nobody's yelling. Oh, I just love that his, his fun name is fun. Ah. Uh, that sounds so. pretty bad. I um, I was kind of so okay. So 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 you got this really bad improv comedian, and how did the phone handle? Like I'm I'm really curious about this because there's something ah, I don't know what anybody else thinks about this. There's something I feel like there's some, something crazy uncomfortable about this idea of this kind of you know, massive super corporation that's going to come up and solve all of the third world's problems with some sort of weird technological device. <laughs> well, I mean, the huge, the huge, uh, uh, life-changing technology would be the internet and they just need some sort of a conduit to it that yeah, is appropriate right. for their means. So, right. uh, I don't really think of Mozilla as a huge corporation either. I think they're just like a totally privately funded, like nonprofit organization ah okay i wasn't really sure what happened to them because that wasn't that one of vinton surfs kind of i thought he kind of created the mozilla foundation and then was it him that created it i'm not sure i can't remember i thought vinton surf was the uh the guy who helped uh, build ncsa mosaic or am i wrong about that i think didn't vince surf do the internet protocol or tcp or something like that maybe he did tcp ip was it mark andreason I think Mark Andreessen was the oh. guy who did um, Mosaic and then Mozilla? Netscape. Oh, okay. And okay, he might have okay. done Mozilla, too. I'm not sure. Ah, yeah, I can't remember. I just remember seeing a documentary. Actually, oh, that's, that reminds me. Maybe we should do this episode on communications and early Internet, because do you oh, ever yeah, totally. see those, um, those early... They were documentaries from the 90s, uh, mid-90s, starring this guy named Robert X. Kringley, or Kringley, I think his name is, Kringley. Um, one was called, oh shit, um, oh crap, there were, there were these made-for-TV documentaries about the early internet, and it was all about like the internet boom of 1995 or 94, um, when everyone's getting online and all of these, you know, these um, internet 1.0 companies or web 1.0 companies are springing up everywhere. Oh No, crap. this sounds great. Oh man, I gotta get you the name of this. Uh, get, I'll remember it halfway through this episode for sure. And he's got two documentaries. One was done in ninety ninety five, and then one's actually done right in. The, it's like couldn't be better timing. It's done right in the middle of like the Y two K internet boom explosion where every the where the bubble bust at the end of that at the end of Y two K. And he just happens to be kind of right smack dab in the middle of it, making a documentary, and they're both amazing documentaries um they were i believe um what's that um free american tv uh network called uh PBS? public pbs yes they're both pbs documentaries okay. and um i yeah i shouldn't admit to this but um uh this pbs first pbs documentary i was actually really proud of this i felt like i contributed something to the world yeah. um and I'm, again i'm speaking a theoretical uh language here um, it's Robert Stringley's, oh crap. Um, it, the whole, the, the video did not exist anywhere in the internet. It was only on a VHS tape. Mm. So, 
um, I went down to a local library. This was several years ago. Went down to a local library and grabbed the VHS tape, and then I hooked up a VHS recorder to the computer, and I actually um, um, like used the AV inputs and ripped uh, straight from VHS at you know like um, uh, highest quality uh, rip I can make of it, and put it up on um, I can't remember what torrent tracker it went to. I think I might have put it on Demonoid originally. Okay. And and then it was cool. Um, it was about a week later. All of a sudden, it spread everywhere through the internet, and I was like, "Hey, I seeded that guy." Oh, that's um, great. It was really cool, and people were posting these really, really excited posts on the torrent trackers. They were like, "This has never been on the internet ever. It's like a 15-year-old documentary. It's absolutely amazing." And oh, jeez, uh, Robert Kringley was a writer who did two or three famous books. One was called Accidental, uh, Accidental Empires. He hosted a show called Nerd TV. I don't know if you ever saw that. No. Um, he uh, was a writer for, I want to see, P- PC Magazine. Um, uh, he was like some internet famous kind of dude from the 90s. Hmm. But, um, yeah, his documentary on the early internet is just awesome. It's, he, yeah, he has a Vinton Surf in an interview. So for some reason I'm connecting him together with um, Mozilla, and I don't really know why. Could, um, but I think that be. Vinton Surf did some other stuff, yeah. I don't yeah, think I don't it was think, specifically I don't think Mozilla. I don't think Mozilla existed until um, Netscape was already starting to crumble, or had probably had it until it had already gone. Oh, yeah. I think. Oh, wait. You know what it was? Sorry. It wasn't Mozilla Foundation. It was NCSA, um, the, the foundation that existed prior to Mozilla that, that made Mosaic. Um, oh, okay. What, oh, what? Oh, NCSA stands for something. Oh, uh, shoot. Um, I'm looking at National up. Computer something. Oh, jeez. Oh, the um, National Center for Supercomputing Applications? Yes, and I'm pretty sure Vinton Surf was somehow involved with that back then. Um, oh, jeez. I just remember, yeah, what the hell did Vinton Surf do? He's like an old guy now. He's got to be in his, like, late 80s. I, I wish I knew better. I'm, uh, I'll do some research and I'll too. stick it in the show notes anyway. Yeah, please. And, uh, and, and once I remember well. the... Yeah, I'll, once I remember the name, I'll get you the name of that documentary. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. And the follow-up documentary in 2000 is just as good um, because it tracks some of these companies that exploded, like Netscape and stuff like that. Actually, by 2000, I think it's starting to look at kind of the downfall of Netscape, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that was the, mostly because of Microsoft. Yeah, and, and, and I think they made some pretty critical blunders. I can't remember what, what the big ones were. Um, uh, and it also tra- starts tracking this insane uber rich guy who owns Oracle. Um, <laughs> and oh, this guy, I forget his name. Is that Larry Ellison? Yes, Larry Ellison. <laughs> he <laughs> he has this um, kind of insane super mansion that's b- built in Japanese architectural style in the middle of like San Francisco or LA or something. Mm. Um, and and the guy has like you know those Japanese style tatami rooms that have nothing on the floor except one. $10 million sculpture in the center of the room or something. He walks around with his hands folded behind his back all the time. Uh, and <laughs> I think that's a really bad facelift. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it, those are, Oh, those are such good documentaries. So um, actually while we're on the topic of like cheap devices, cause I'm, I'm like really fascinated with this Mozilla phone. Mm. Um, do you remember about, Oh geez, five or eight years ago, they came up with something called the XO laptop. 
Um, and it was part mm. of a campaign called One Laptop Per Child. Oh, OLTD. yeah, sure. Yes. Ah, uh, I hope I hope our listeners recommend or uh, recognize that name, the OLPC, because it was it was along the same lines, and it was supposed to revolutionize. You know, um, it was going to be revolutionizing the third world countries who could not afford to have computers in their you know enough computers in their classroom to support you know all their kids. Mm-hmm. And I got in really involved in it, and I ended up buying several uh, OLPCs. Actually, I think three altogether. Oh, um, what was your experience it, with them? I never tried one. It, it was interesting. So um, the deal was, I think if you bought one OLPC, um, it would get, so if you, it's two for one. So if you got one right. OLPC, one kid in a third world country would also get an OLPC. So I bought mm-hmm. two of them. So I guess that's four. Um, I bought two OLPCs and I was so excited about this thing. I was going to basically dick around with the, the two I received and probably give one away and then keep one of them. And uh, they were they were insane. I remember the pre-orders were just insane, and I was really excited. And they were cheap. I think it was the it was a, supposed to be a hundred dollar laptop, which is kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and it was supposed to be rugged. It was supposed to have unbelievable Wi-Fi range, all of this stuff, and unbelievable battery life. And it was supposed to be able to be viewable indoors and outdoors, depending on the lighting conditions. Yeah. Um. So it promised all of this stuff, and it's it was really interesting. It. It met most of those. Um, it met most of those uh, um, criteria. Like when I received it, first of all, it was like visually very appealing. It was this white and green, very bright, goofy, kid-like kind of thing. Like reminds me of those uh, kids' laptops you can get at the store. What are they called? Um, oh, oh my nephew has one. I forget what it's called, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for kids. Kind of, yeah, they look like a kid's thing. Um, and then, you know, I, you flip it open, and yep, it's a laptop, and it's running uh, a custom form of Linux. So I don't remember what distro. I, I think it was like SUSE or something like that. I can't remember um, which distribution, or maybe it was, you know what, I think it was a customized distribution, uh, maybe a form of Gentoo with, the, um, with a diff- slightly different interface. Um, mm-hmm. They had kind of came up with a custom UI, which I thought was really good. Um, but... It was weird. It had these just finicky problems that I, I was excited about this thing because this is like five or eight years ago when my MacBook Pro would have like three hours of battery life. This thing was promising between 15 and 20. Yeah. So I was excited about this. I'm like, I'm going to have like a word processing machine. I can just take it anywhere with me, do all of my, you know, paper academic writing and, you know, work on it for two or three days before a recharge. And I was super excited about it. And... It just turned out, I don't know how to explain it, the refresh rate was ungodly slow. It was using some sort of passive matrix TFT. Mm-hmm. Um, so the screen would take a long time to re-update. Like imagine, I don't know, like the way that calculators work. Like They take forever to refresh the screen. So there's a lot of blurring. Mm. Um, um, and it had this weird thing where it was like this very low uh, color depth um, screen, they, they came up with a custom technology for the screen, and I can't remember, it was not a TFT, now that I think about it. It was some sort of weird um, bi-mode display where it was capable of working in black and white mode outdoors, so you could see all perfect contrast, you could see all of your icons on your desktop and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then when you bring it indoors, and you're working from the backlight, I believe it was backlit, um, it would switch to color mode, but it was only capable of displaying like maybe a thousand colors something like that. Okay. Um, 
so it was really ah, it's hard to hard to describe. Um, my overall experience was as soon as you told me that the, those phones had that crappy capacitive capacitive touchscreen was it felt crappy. Um, you'd start typing on it. The keyboard was extra small. It was definitely made for kids' hands. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I have small hands, but I still found it cramped. Um, so there was no way I was going to be writing any sort of word processing on it. Um, mm-hmm. The screen, the screen refreshed so slowly that you couldn't really play games on it. Um, it came with a packed-in. This was back when SimCity was um, released as open source. Right. So, it came with SimCity, an open source version. Oh yeah, and the other deal was the anything that was distributed on the laptop had to be open source, which is an interesting kind of choice um, because they yeah. wanted the kids have the opportunity to muck around with the source code. Mm. Um, SimCity ran okay, but not great. Um, it, it the game was almost unplayable um, just due to the poor refresh rates of the machine. The Wi-Fi. Um, it had amazing range. It had actually, it was actually kind of funny. It reminded me of like a 1990s thing. The, um, when you flip open the lid of the laptop and the screen's up, you can actually flip the sides of the screen upwards like two rabbit ear antennas, um, except they're made out of plastic, and they'd stick way up in the air, and it would create like unbelievable, like unbelievable range. Unfortunately, yeah, it was very cool, it was, except that it came with a terrible like um, Atheros or something network, uh, wireless network card that was, you know, half incompatible with, you know, 30% of the routers out there. Mm. So it would only connect in the lowest, you know, the lowest, um, the lowest Low Wi-Fi speed. nodes. Mm. Yeah, lowest speeds. Um, it had all of these issues, and I, and I just remembered, like, not to be political about this, but this was supposed to solve every third world problem on earth. Every classroom in the third world is now finally going to, you know, kids are finally going to be able to learn. It was all this idealism that went into it. Um, and ultimately they, you know, and the U S government got huge behind this thing. This is going to be revolutionizing. And all it turned out to be was like a flash in the pan within one year of the OLPC, the project was shut down. Um, and I don't remember the exact reasons behind it. Um, I was, I was very, very excited about this thing. I thought it was going to be revolutionary. And, it just disappeared. They just said, "Oh, you know what? Um, you know these um, um, these netbooks have actually become so cheap that kids in these third world com- countries would rather have a real netbook than a piece of crap OLPC." Oh, so same um, story as Mozilla. What a shame! Yeah, isn't that funny? And so you realize people have taste. You know, no matter how poor they are, they they would rather have something good than something you know barely functional. So, I. Uh, I don't know. I, I regret it. I sold. I, I got despondent after a few months. I realized that uh, the hype was over, and I sold my OLPCs. <laughs> That's the irony, of course. Um, I I sold. I think I paid a hundred bucks per OLPC, and the, oh no, sorry, I paid two hundred bucks because I also got one for a kid in a third world country. For so I spent four hundred bucks altogether, and I think I sold my two old PCs for $300 each on eBay. So I actually made money by doing this, which is terrible. In retrospect, I kind of, kind of wish I kept one of them. It would have been a neat conversation piece. Yeah, perhaps. Oh, that's, that's, that's kind of a funny, <laughs> yeah. funny way to wrap it up. You realize, sadly, this is all just about capitalism in the end. 
Um, I guess so. There were a lot of... um, I remember Intel wanted to make a competing product for a while. I think it cost a little bit more and it was a little bit fancier. And there were all these accusations that Intel was bribing these African nationalist leaders to go with their solution instead. And that was one of the contributing factors to why one laptop per child dried Jeez. up, just because all of a sudden, after like a year of negotiations or something, right. these uh, these education ministers just said, oh, we changed our mind all of a sudden. Oh, that's terrible. So I think Holy they had cow. lots and lots of stock and no one to sell them to, something like that. It was a Yeah, that's shame. what I remember happening, too. I remember all of a sudden they had produced all these machines and no one was buying them. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, oh, well, that's terrible, you know. And I realized, like you know, computers that, appreciate in value as they sit in a warehouse. <laughs> yeah, and it had this slower. bizarre chipset on it. I don't remember, but what it was. But I, I know it was not an Intel compatible chipset. Like you cannot run. Um, I would. My big hope was that this was going to become my DOS box rig. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I realized, like, no, this is just a custom compiled. Here, one sec. My poor little kitten here. She is somehow gotten tangled up. This is the worst thing about putting a harness on a cat. They tangle themselves around everything. Of course. <laughs> um, floofa, behave yourself. Um, floofa. So, OLPC, oh, 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 yeah. Um, I, was, I was so sad that um, those were in the days where I was I so badly wanted just some sort of Intel, Intel chipset, um, Intel-based chipset so I could run, I, I, I'd have a word processing slash DOS box machine. We sort of had a similar situation anyway. With we bought my we bought a netbook for my wife for when she was going to her uh, postgraduate uh, college program, ah. and she used it in school, and it was fine. She just used it for note taking and word processing. Sure. It was like a, a a lousy little Intel. And it was a, no, it was a. Yeah, it was an Intel one. Um, okay. With Windows XP on it, it was fine. It was functional. Oh well. And she it it got her through her uh, her one year of school, and then yeah. uh, I figured, okay, well, this will be my DOS box machine uh, afterwards. And it was just unbearably slow. It's, oh, it's really? one of these computers that I think would have been amazing if it had a solid state drive, but instead it had like the world's oh. slowest uh, parallel ATA. Or no, sir, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was probably parallel ATA, like mechanical hard drive, and it was the Yikes. the worst bottleneck. It was just unbearable. And we would turn it on like once every month and a half or so after that, and every single time we would need all these <laughs> updates. And by the time we were done updating, uh, it, it we we just couldn't didn't care anymore that about whatever awful. it was we were supposed to do. That was too bad. We ended up giving it away to our dad, I think, who. Oh, that's it. I don't know. <laughs> it was a sad. I remember. That I remember those those. Um, early netbooks. I'm guessing it's fairly fairly early-ish netbook. Hmm. Um, they had that Intel Atom processor. I don't remember yeah. what speed it was, but they were they were unbearably slow. I I remember trying to find a find a way to play DOSBox stuff, and the Atom processor. I think I think its trick was it was a crippled L2 cache or L1 cache, hmm. and the um, and and you know of course the slow processor speed like five or six hundred megahertz. It was supposed to be a power saving kind of thing. And um, I was, you know, I was like, oh, the specs don't seem so bad. And then, you know, you you put, you know, DOSBox or whatever on it, um, and it's just, it's it's not doing anything. It's yeah, awful. Yeah, cache is really important. I seem to remember us playing a bunch of Jones in the Fast Lane on it and kind of like oh. nothing newer than maybe 1994 or so in terms of <laughs> DOSBox stuff. And it, it excelled at that stuff. It was great. It, the oh, okay, just, that's great. All the crap we had to go through before we could actually get to that point. Oh, that was too bad. And the, the, right after that, I guess, is when we start 
we got our first uh, Android smartphones, which are also slow ones, but just that much yeah. more convenient than the netbook. And it's amazing how sure. our, our habits changed after that happened, as soon as <laughs> smartphones came into the picture. So what do you DOS box on now? Uh, oh, now I just do it on my desktop computer. I have oh, this. Okay. I have this really idiotic habit, and maybe you do the same thing. And I'm sure our listeners probably do something too. Whenever I upgrade my computer, um, if I get new speakers or a new sound card or a new motherboard or yep. CPU or RAM or whatever, I I play like the oldest crappiest game that never would like, that we couldn't even conceive of such a machine when the game was made. I kind of my go to game is like Police Quest Two, which was a DOS <laughs> game that it had. I think it was. I think that game did it have VGA. I think it had VGA colors. Maybe uh, not. It might have just been no, EGA it was or EG, MCG. It was EGA because was it was a EGA 16 or color game. or something. Yeah, so it was sixteen colors because everyone had that what uh, what Francisco calls watermelon or sunburn red. Sierra Sierra <laughs> sunburn, which is a great great Sierra great name sunburn. for that color. <laughs> if I ever release an album, I should call it Sierra Sunburn. That's a very good term for it. There you go. So I, I think that game needed, I don't know, like a 16 megahertz machine or something like that. Yes. So that's yeah, why that sounds about right. That. Yeah, that's why I have to play that on a 4 gigahertz processor. <laughs> I, think I, do that's have, like a, I do all my DOS box on there. I think that's a great test, you know. Like there was, uh, I, I had the opposite. What I would do, as soon as I bought a gaming rig, I'd find... I find this one game that I knew like ran like crap on my last rig and would, you know, probably the last time this happened would be like Skyrim or um, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, which would ru- only run on like partial settings, upgrade to a new machine and be like, okay, I want to see what it looks like on Ultra and, uh, you know, crank up everything, maximum resolution, triple, you know, anti-aliasing, triple, you know, uh, anisotropic filtering. And it's a, I don't even know what that word, what that thing does. Um, oh, anisotropic filtering? That Yeah. That's a texture filtering technology that makes it so that if you're looking at a polygon that's kind of on an angle, it yes. makes the texture, it keeps the texture from looking blurry the further away from the oh, camera it is. Oh, really? I, I, uh, I took a series of screenshots for myself just because I had read that description but didn't entirely understand yeah. what it meant. It was in Vampire, Vampire Masquerade Bloodlines that I... Uh, yes took some screenshots where all the settings were the same except for an isotropic filtering, and I was, like, looking down a long road. And in the oh, ones man. without it, then I, I'm like, oh, this looks good without it. Yeah. And then I turned it on and took screenshots, and you could, like, still see the uh, dashed lines down the road, like, way far You're away. You're kidding me. It's really apparent when you look at a screenshot. Uh, one to that's the other. funny. I had no idea what that was for, and I would always... It's funny. Basically, my theory was, if I don't understand what the setting's for, I'm going to turn it off. And right. uh, because, because that's probably the one that's going to slow me down the most, and I don't know what it does, which is really backwards way of thinking about stuff. Oh, sure. Um, well, I mean, if you don't know what you're missing, then you're not going to miss it. Yeah. Well, now uh, now I know what I'm missing. That's really exciting. Oh, sorry. Um, aside aside from the fact that Bloodlines is an amazing game. Oh, um, sure. Yes. Did you finish that? Game? Absolutely. Ah, uh, no, I never did. You know what's funny? I bought that game when it came out because I had actually gotten really addicted to its predecessor. Um, VTM, uh, sorry, uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, uh, I can't remember what uh, it's called. I played it a little bit. It's like yeah, a medieval one, right? It is. It's actually set actually in three or four different time periods, actually. Oh. Um, it starts, yeah, it's, that's what makes the game so great. It starts off in the medieval period, and if I remember correctly, um, your, your vampire you know, skips ahead 100 years at a time. I, somebody please correct me, because I might, I, this has been like 
15 years since I played it, but if I remember correctly, and I'm not confusing it with a movie or something, um, you do skip ahead into the more modern era, which is like a great kind of continuity thing in the game. Yeah. Um, oh, well, that, that yeah, Bloodlines is just crazy. Vampire, Vampire the Masquerade Redemption. That's what the Redemption, first Redemption, there you go. Yeah. yeah um, Bloodlines, I, I had to start it. I, I played it... I played it for like, I don't know, two or three hours or something, and I loved it, and yeah. then it just kind of petered out my interest. And I think I must have started it and got bored of it like five or six times over the course of like a decade. And then yeah. last year I told myself, okay, I'm finishing this damn thing. I'm going to motor through. I've never seen like the last two-thirds of the game. I just got to see it. <laughs> and that yeah. game just got better and better and better and better and better until the very end where it was kind of boring, but it has such yeah. a satisfying ending, at least the ending that I chose. It was so satisfying oh, that's great. so funny. What a terrific, terrific game. I, I oh, recommend that's, that that's to a, anyone. Oh, okay, that's really exciting. I've only ever gotten through the first third of the game, and Me I too. think a lot it's of it had time. to do with um, the game was completely unpatched the first few times I tried to play it. Oh, and, yeah. And it, it, you'd run into literally like showstopper kind of bugs halfway through the game or a third of the way through, so you couldn't even finish quests. And at some point, you know, I'd have open quests that I know that I'd finished, and yet they wouldn't close for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd given up four or five times in a row. And then the very last time I tried to play it, I think was two years ago, and I was getting, oh, I was really getting into the game, and I got completely sidetracked and never went back to it. So that's definitely on my list. Um, I know at least a couple of our listeners are really big Bloodlines fans, and uh, I think that, that time has only made that game better. Um, that, that was my experience. Well, there's um, the, actually the fan-made patches are really yeah, great. There's one guy. I think his name is Wesp W E S P. I got to put this in the show notes. Yes. It's like one friggin' guy. His he is yeah. still releasing patches to this day. That <laughs> game must be like eleven or twelve years old now, or something. And he's up to like yes. version I don't know nine point something. And That's it's right. Just crazy when you look at the uh, change log of the patch notes. Like he oh, they're so insane. Many so many bugs, or he'll like uncover this little bit of content that was supposed to be in the game but wasn't, or yeah. he like oh, I added two alternative solutions to this puzzle in this place. You can do this, <laughs> or you can do that. Like, he doesn't spell it out so that he doesn't spoil it. But that's how I finally got through all the way through because I remember playing oh, that right great. when it first came out, and like there was no walk animation for some of the like very first that's cinematics, right. so people would like exactly around on the floor. It was <laughs> really silly. It was just the graphics and the dialogue and the voice acting that. Well, well, I remember it was. So wasn't that a Troika? Was that a Troika Games uh, yeah, title? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and Troika was running out of money, and they got kind of forced to publish it way, way before it had really officially entered beta and gotten tested properly. I think it was um, the other way around, actually, because oh, this was, was the first game that was. This was the first third-party game that was going to use Valve's Source Engine, and oh, they were going to le- release it right, right after Half-Life 2 came out, but then You're somebody right. leaked the source code to Half-Life 2, and then they had to wait an extra year after the game was yeah. already pretty much finished, and they, they were relying on the money to pay their engineers or whatever. That's right. So they couldn't they couldn't afford to do patches. I think some of their engineers That's what it was. agreed to do patches like for free as a hobby because they loved the game, they believed in the project, <laughs> and they felt so badly for their fans that got screwed by the the broken product. But after a while, oh, they got other jobs. And heartbreaking. Well, you know, yeah. and Troika had a bad bad history of releasing uh, broken games. Like if you've played another one of my oh, I just love this game to death, but it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a slog. Is Arcanum? Did you ever have a chance to play that game? No, I've heard of it. I know nothing about it. Uh, it's a steam steampunk game. I think one of the best. Um, and it's got a great, you know, it's got a great, uh, got got a fantastic setting, amazing music. 
Um, but un- there's another Troika title, and unfortunately, same issue. Um, I think that's what I was confusing it with. I think Sierra rushed it out the door. Uh, the game definitely went over its uh, over budget and stuff like that, and they just pushed it out. And so it's full of tons of broken quests, and I think Troika kind of, yeah, got a, started to get a bit of a bad rap after that of releasing buggy games. Hmm. But, um, yeah, no, I... Uh, how, did, how did we get on the topic of Vampire uh, Bloodlines? Oh, <laughs> oh, filtering! <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, right, yeah. you asked me what, I, what machine I ran DOSBox on. Yeah, um, I, uh, I, I've actually got into the habit of really trying to run stuff on the original hardware. That's that's really I, I love DOSBox to death, but I, um, you know, I'm sure our listeners have talked about this many, many a time um, with each other or uh, or thought about this. Um, it's really hard. DOSBox is very, very good, but it's also very hard to emulate some of the things that sounds, you know, for instance, I think if I remember correctly. Is it DOSBox's AdLib emulator? I can't remember one of the emulators that it's got built into it. does a pretty poor job. I know it's MT32 emulation is, is horrific. Um, it sounds nothing like a real MT32. Um, yeah, 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 unfortunately. Yeah, slash Sound Blaster emulation is a little bit off. I, I, yeah, it's It's been too it's long, off. I can't even remember the comparison anymore. But I, I remembered the first time I used DOSBox that games didn't sound how I remembered them. Yeah, it and it's kind of... It's exactly it's serviceable, and but the interesting thing is um, when you hear it on the real. Um, I, I guess for me, it's interesting that we've become so accustomed to DOSBox over the years that we actually kind of. I think many of us see it as the actual thing, like the the real article, and right. <clears throat> it's kind of weird how it's rewriting history uh, <laughs> in some funny way. Like if I think about games that feature a really really great AdLib um, OPL2 FM soundtrack. Um, you know, they sound okay in DOSBox, um, but, you know, if I really want to hear, like, the, a great sounding the soundtrack, I actually have to pull out the old Tandy that's got the AdLib card still in it, and then I listen to it on that and think, oh, my God, this sounds amazing, um, you know, and I realize that DOSBox is this really funny way of kind of rewriting history just because, the you know, it couldn't possibly actually emulate all of that hardware at once. And, That's um, true. Well, it's, I guess it's the same story with, I read an article not long ago about how LCD monitors are doing the same sorts of things and how oh. CRT monitors kind of made things look just a little bit fuzzier and a little bit yes. rounder. There was this kind of like a diffusion or attenuation or that, something. Of that's the, right. The colors or just the way the pixels were aligned as well. They were a little more spread out, so you could sort of do yeah, this anti-aliasing kind of a thing. That's yes. right. And so when you look at like pixel art or low-resolution uh, sprites, Nowadays, it looks so much more like uh, unnecessarily or like unnaturally crisp. It wasn't exactly sharp, the way the yeah. designers intended. It's still beautiful, it's actually, and it's what we're used to. But it's just not, yeah, what the designers had in mind. Yeah, I think that's a per- perfect way to think about it. I, I really encourage. Oh man, th- we we probably should finish off our arcade topic because this totally blends into it. Um, I I actually there's a big big amount of discussion over whether or not arcade monitors they're all 30 years old now. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at least, and the CRT monitors are going, the tubes go on them, but the first thing that goes is the little monitor neck board on them that needs to be rebuilt every few years, and et cetera, et cetera. Very complex stuff to fix this stuff. Um, I learned how to do it, and it's not fun. I can tell you that much. Um, but if you ever get the chance to play Pac-Man on a real CRT monitor, it is Gorgeous! It's uh, the one thing I can tell everyone right now. If you haven't looked at a CRT r- lately, 
the one big thing you're missing out is so bright. Um, LCDs are dim. They are boring to look at. They, your eyes, I, I, it's really funny. Um, I can literally say that I broke out into a smile when I got Pac-Man running uh, on the arcade system. Uh, it's like there were a uh, real arcade Pac-Man running again because the colors are so, um, what would be the right, luminant, I think is the right word. Um, the colors may not be as um, saturated as you get in an LCD because the LCD is really good at sending you really saturated colors. However, uh, a yellow on a CRT is the most bright, lemony, you can almost taste the color leaping off the screen. Um, <laughs> it's hard to, hard to give it the right kind of ex expression. I would say the best comparison is an LCD screen is a lot like paper. If you take a pencil crayon and draw something on, pencil, uh, on a piece of paper, it's going to look very, very much like it would look like on an LCD screen, which is great for people who are into printing. Mm. But if you want to see something that's truly got its own expressive character, you'll never... Um, and I think maybe it's just because CRTs also use a ton of glass, which magnifies and changes light too. It's got a lot of in weird internal reflection. Um, the uh, the colors that come through on Pac-Man will make you smile. They're so colorful. There are these funny pastel colors, pinks, blues, yellows, uh, and reds, and they'll just make you smile. They're, they're, they're really fun, and it just, it just changes the whole experience playing it on a real CRT monitor. Um, it's really funny. Um, the other thing CRTs have, too, that people forget is they make a lot of noise. Um, they, they make a ton of noise. So when the screen changes, the CRT is emitting a different hum. And we never notice this um, consci consciously. You might, some people might notice it, but I, I only noticed it because I was so used to how quiet computers are now. Um, a CRT, when it's showing pinks and reds and stuff like that, will low a very, emit a very, very low-level hum. Um, right. But when, it, when it's showing blues and whites, it's kind of a very, very high-pitched hum, and your body actually gets used to it, and it kind of gets, I don't know, it just, it's just part of the experience. Your body gets used to hearing the hum, and it becomes part of the background of what you're watching. Hmm. Yeah, so, I, I'm definitely stuff. aware of when uh, LCD or sorry, when CRT monitors are kind of starting to go, they will often make those yeah. sounds a lot more loudly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I can't and, say I uh, missed that exactly, but I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, it's just one of those weird, below, just below the threshold of perception stuff that uh, mm. is, is part of the experience. And I think it makes, it just makes the whole thing a little bit more tactile. It's, it's involving your whole body rather than just your eyes. Um, <laughs> it's a romantic way to put it. I mean, it was probably yeah. poisoning us with radiation. <laughs> exactly. That's always scary whenever I take an arcade machine apart. Um, the uh, CRT tube has this huge warning on it. There's always this big RCA label that says, warning, contains X radiation. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, I'm like that's like that word X radiation. Just like it just sounds bad, no matter how you do it. So mm, it's basically like barbecuing your eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. So I'm kind of glad I've stepped away from the arcade stuff for a while, and I've returned to my my manual labor job, which is somewhat um, less less nerdy, but but a lot more probably safe for my my eyes. <laughs> Um, well, while we're talking no, about burning our eyes, we should uh, continue our discussion, perhaps, of the uh, arcade games. Then, sure. Um, did you want to talk about any uh, any games you've been playing recently to, to follow our usual format? Yeah. Okay. Why not? Um, I 
Oh, so you know what? Actually, before I talk about that, I'll yeah. talk about what sure. I've been doing instead of playing a lot of games. Cause I've oh, had, great. I've had a series of cool stuff landing land in my lap and a series of stupid things that have kept me really busy. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, please. Okay, let's start with the stupid things first of all. Um, so the internet went down in my office the other day, which left <laughs> me with very little to do because I'm usually, if I'm not working on web pages and stuff like that, then I'm right. at least doing research for writing documentation. So there's sure. not a lot I can do without my internet uh, connection. And so uh, they say that idle hands are the devil's play thing, right? So I was playing <laughs> with my phone. And uh, invariably on Androids, if you, like, install and uninstall a lot of apps, it, like, leaves behind a whole bunch of empty folders. And there's, oh, no, I see. There's, there's no reason, really, why I shouldn't just leave them there. It doesn't really sure. make it any slower. It doesn't really take up any space. It's just kind of unsightly. But uh, I like tinkering around with my friggin' phone, and so I was deleting sure. a bunch of folders. And so <laughs> this is like a Twilight Zone kind of a head-scratcher here. Um uh, there was one folder I had I had tried and then removed because I didn't like it. Um, some uh, backup software called Titanium Backup, where if you've okay. uh, if you've rooted your phone, then it can backup all of this data from uh, uh, apps very that helpful. you can only get to. Well, yeah, I, I've heard that it's kind of like mixed success depending on yeah. whether you. I think I might have used it data. once. It's got about a billion settings to it, and you can it manually does. check which folders it's syncing and stuff like that. Exactly, so I'm sure UI. I was using it wrong. It does, and I'm sure I must have been using it wrong because I couldn't really get it to reliably restore anything. I'm a yes. the kind of guy who formats my phone for fun every now and then anyway. <laughs> try another OS or just a whatever. To, just to that clean sounds it up. like a great dating dating site uh, kind of profile text. I'm the kind of guy who formats his phone for fun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I like long, low-level formats and... and uh, <laughs> Partitioning by candlelight. <laughs> so there was a folder on my there's a folder on my on my internal storage, and it was called uh, I forget it was called store or something like that. Yep. Um, and inside of that folder, there was one folder called titanium. And I'm like, okay. oh, okay, it's a titanium backup thing. So I just deleted the I just deleted that whole folder called store. Now, sure. on Android, when you've plugged in your phone to your, uh, like, via USB to your computer, and it shows you the file system of the uh, internal, like, SD card memory, it will yep. only show you the files that you can see as, like, a non-root user, even if your phone is rooted. Oh. Um, there, there may be hidden files or folders in there as well. Huh. Okay. So, I deleted this folder called Store, and then my phone disconnected via USB. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. Oh. So I unplugged my phone, I plugged it back in, and there was there were no folders on my phone. I'm like, okay, oh, what boy. the hell? So I unplugged it, I plugged it back in, no folders. And so I looked at some of my I looked at my home screen which had uh like I, it had some customizations with some bitmap files that yep. I had for like to replace some of my icons with images, and those were just showing like a picture of a folder instead of which is like the generic image not found. Yes picture. And so I eventually it kind of dawned on me that the folder I deleted contained its parent folder. It was like this a total what? Twilight Zone sort of a thing where like I had navigated I I don't know. I can't describe it very well in words. I understand what happened. This is one of those weird so, kind of so file systems. Was it like was, was it like a virtual folder or a uh, Basically, what's the word? a shortcut uh, or something? Yeah, like link, a uh, link symbolic link. Symbolic link. Seems to be. So I think there was a symbolic wow. link to the parent folder or something in the folder that I deleted, wow. which meant that I deleted the entire contents of the whole folder. <laughs> oh my god. That was totally Twilight Zone. So uh, That, that sounds awful. 
it was awful, but it it tells a good story. <laughs> oh, that's that, great. I'm not all that upset. So I I, I spoke a month or a week or two ago about this uh, virtual pet game I was playing called Mola Mola. Yeah, the very Japanese game. So I lost my progress in that, which is the only thing that I'll miss. The rest of it is all get is all backed up on the cloud. Okay, I, I okay, really that's care good. About. So my poor Mola Mola has gone into the ether. But uh, I, <laughs> I came home and I formatted my phone, which is fun anyway. So uh, I'm backing up and running now. And I took it as an opportunity to design a new home screen for my phone that I, one like I've never done before. So that's always good. So I don't mind. I don't mind burning the house down and building a new one every now and then. You truly felt like a Windows user. It's like, oh, I re- reinstall once a week, just keep things good. Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, so you're... actually, that's a lead-in to another one of my mishaps. Sorry, were you going to say something? Yeah, it's just your story reminded me. Did you happen to watch the um, uh, f- fantastic documentary Get Lamp? No, I'm really meaning to, the one about text oh, adventures. Oh, I think you'll really, really dig it. Even if you're not into text adventures too much, this is especially to our listeners, because I suspect, um, I would actually, please, please, please write in or send us a voicemail. Um, if you're if you're a, a text adventure player or, or not, and why not? Because I think, I think we've really missed out. We've become this graphical uh, adventure game player, and th- those text adventures are still just as good as they ever were. But there's this one great story about... Um, from one of the Infocom guys, he says, uh, during the creation of the Zet Interpreter, I think that's the name of it, um, that all the Infocom games used, um, they were programming the living hell out of this thing, and uh, they finally were getting to the point where the, uh, it, it was using some sort of Lisp-like language, um, which, if you guys are familiar with Lisp, it's a uh, very bizarre language that is, um, how can I put it? it is very good at doing things called recursive functions, so a function that calls itself. Um, And you can't do that with almost any other language. Lisp is really, really good at it. So anyway, you can have do really weird things in Lisp, like have a function that calls itself. So um, uh, (laughs) I thought this was a fantastic story. They, they, They were integrating this functionality into the Z interpreter, and they finally found a use for it. They said, hey, you can put containers inside of other containers. That's perfect. Um, and then you can go into the second, you know, you're basically creating subfolders. And um, this is a big deal and a big change for it. So, of course, when they're testing this, um, I think the example is a red box. And he says, you know, put the fish inside of the red box. There's now a fish inside of the red box. And they're, they're all happy about this. And then the, the guy, the programmer says, uh, put the red box inside of the red box. <laughs> and you know, of course, they didn't think of trapping this. And Lisp is happy to let you do this forever because it's oh. recursively oriented. And you know, he, he goes, "Look inside the red box. There is a red box inside of this red box. Open the red box. There is a red box inside of the red box that contains a fish, which contains a red box." Oh, cool! <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful. It was just like the way that he he described. It. He could he'll do this far <clears throat> far better than I ever could tell that story. But I thought it was just a very goofy programmy thing that happened and he was like I'm, I'm very curious how they found a way to trap that error so so the so that was the crappy part of your experience oh so let's see what other crap has been going on i um uh, now that uh, a windows 10 um release date <clears throat> has been announced it's going to come out at yes. the end of july Oh so wow! They're um, they're pushing to us beta testers like more frequent builds now, and okay. the latest build I think it was like build one hundred one thirty or something like that. Sure, it broke it broke my sound card drivers. 
Um, oh. I had to had to fiddle around with it a little bit, and I found that it works at some bit rates and not others, which is okay. No. It works at the okay. second highest bit rate instead of the highest one. I see. It's like 44.1 like, instead of 48? It's like 90... What is it? Like 96,000 oh. instead of 180,000 or something Holy like that. Holy crap. That is a very I nice know. card. I don't understand why sound cards go that high, because the human ear can hear up to, like... 26,000 yeah. hertz when That's you're crazy. young and your ears aren't already dying. I don't know. It's a big <laughs> number and I can pick it, so I pick it, of course. So, every, I got everything working again eventually, except for Audacity, which is what I use to uh, edit the podcast every week. Yes. So, apologies to anyone who, who noticed any lapse in quality of the podcast audio last week. I know Trolls had mentioned that uh, I had forgotten to mute something. While it, Usually, uh, I'll hold my laptop up to my uh, headset so that Chris and I can listen together when we're listening to a voicemail. Right. And I mute that and I replace it with the, a nice clean the actual, copy of it. Yeah. So I forgot to mute it this time, so there was a little bit of a quiet echo during his. So sorry about that. It's because I've oh, had to, I've had to okay. uh, record, I've had to edit it on my crappy little low-resolution uh, laptop, which I may have to do again this week if uh, they don't release another build. Of oh Windows, wow! It looks like they wow. may not. Uh, so I'll, I'll do some more fiddling. So are you it's still are you still on the experimental track of builds, or are you on the yeah. uh, fast track? Okay, okay. So the fast track screwed me once. And I'm like, okay, screw this. I'm switching to the slow track. So I switched immediately to the slow track. Then uh, a week later, another fast track build came out. And I held out for about 18 seconds or so. I'm like, screw this. I want the new one. I got to be on the bleeding edge no matter how bad the bleeding is, you know. (laughs) So that's the situation I'm in again now. And it's, Uh, it's very, very polished. This is the first major issue I've had in a couple of months or so. And it's not terribly major. So I, I submitted a bug report and I, they, they they have this great bug tracking utility that lets you first describe your issue and then send a screenshot and then you can say reach, uh, make it repeatable by retracing the steps and so you click that gotcha. button and then you go through the motions of actually clicking through your software and it records what you've clicked and where which is really oh, a great wow. troubleshooting idea. Uh, Microsoft says they want to keep this in the final version and even let people use like pre-release versions once it's the full commercial oh, sure. product. So. That's wow. I don't know if I can take any more of this uh, wishy-washy, mostly working but not entirely working business, but uh, right. we'll, we'll see. Knowing me, I'll probably take a peek at it. Huh. So wow. That, that was another thing. But two cool things happened this week. Uh, okay, one of them was mostly cool and a bit of a, a letdown. This, this, this just blows my mind. Um, <laughs> we bought a new... Um, we bought a new cable modem a couple of weeks ago yes. because we were told that our old cable modem was like "quote unquote" grandfathered in that it. Oh, honk! Can you, it was only, can you hear that? Uh, only slightly, no biggie. So uh, we bought our cable modem, I think, four or five years ago or so, yes. and new technologies can support much faster speeds than ours could. We had right. We had 35 or 45 megabit. I think we had 35 megabit download and 4 megabit upload, which is pretty damn nice. fast. It's That's like very quick. Fast. Very quick. Um, but they said they couldn't guarantee that our modem would work forever. So right. I took a look at uh, the different plans available on their website, and I'm like, oh, we can get this faster plan. It'll cost us 8 bucks more. All we have to do is buy another modem. So we bought sure. another modem, and it was 200 bucks. Our last one was 100 bucks, so that kind wow. of hurts a little bit. But uh, luckily, it has like a uh, it's, it has four ports on it. It's a router combined okay. with a modem, and it has Wi-Fi and wired ports on it. Gotcha. So 
smaller when you're replacing one. two devices, it's, it pays for it doesn't pay for itself because it was a shitload of money, but uh, it's worth <laughs> the money anyway. Yeah, for so sure. So we got that anyway, and we just got our upgraded service, which like is mind-bogglingly fast. We have <laughs> uh, we have a hundred megabit download oh and my ten God. megabit upload. So that's insane. It is insane. Like it was only until a few years ago that most routers, like most residential commercial routers, had hundred megabit ports for your LAN. Yeah, so, like, exactly. I could download something from China as fast as other people could copy it from one computer to the computer <laughs> next to them. Like, this rocked my friggin' socks. I downloaded some stuff that's from great. Steam just because I could. It's 12 megabytes a second download. Oh, my like, God. That's yeah, I was trying to guesstimate I, in my head. It's I, I was thinking around 10 megs a second. 12, that's crazy. It's just crazy, crazy fast. And, of course, coming full circle, I think about what we were talking about 19 episodes ago, which was, like, <laughs> one kilobyte a second. Yeah, so at, best, at best on a perfect day. Exactly. So how far I've come. So 100 megabits. So that's really sweet. There's one, uh, there's one unfortunate thing about this modem, which is that if our Internet goes down, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, our, uh, it reports that our network cable has been unplugged. So if oh. the network goes down, we can't even copy files between computers. Oh, crap. It's a, weird, it's a really weird design decision. So we're going to stick That is out for a terrible now. design decision. It is. And this is a Cisco router, so I'm really surprised that it would Jeez. have this weird like networking crippling uh, feature. It's very odd. I don't understand it. So I was just working it out in my head. It sounds to me like it's assigning it. It's, 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 it's not, it, has, it does not have a separate internal and external IP address, that it's actually not keeping your local area network open even though the WAN is down. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it's something like that. Because, I mean, a router Jeez. does something called network address translation where it yeah. takes your external IP address and then it gives you a different subnet exactly. on the internal and it's supposed to be totally separate, like two, yeah, it should two be. sides and of the same coin, I guess. Exactly, and it doesn't so support proper bridging or something. That sucks. Yeah, so that's a little stupid. So we were thinking, do we want to plug our old router back in and have that many more cables and use twice as much electricity? So it's yeah. rare that our internet goes down, so we'll stick it out. But if, if it, something happens, then maybe we'll change our minds. I don't know. Yeah, so oh, that's, that's annoying. That's friggin' bloody fast, though. It's awesome having such fast internet. I can't even imagine. Like my my ten year old self is just trying to 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 wrap this up in my head. Like my my fourteen four modem, which I thought was screaming at the time, past my twenty four hundred baud modem. Was. Um, I was actually recently watching a video. Um, somebody posted. Um, um, uh, my girlfriend pulled this up on YouTube for me, and I thought it was just fantastic. Somebody posted. Um, a video, and this was just like one of those, like, has 1,000 views, you know, it was like this very hard-to-find video uh, of a 2400 baud modem connecting, Um, Uh and I was, like, excited to hear the connect sound, because every, okay, here, here, this is really important, this is why I think, this is, this is me being super political about this stuff, Um, why it's terrible that the internet has rewritten history in some ways, everyone in their head not everyone, but most people in the head, when they think of a modem connecting, um, they think of the and then and it has like this low low hum to it when it finally connects, and that uh, is the, the sound of a, it's a fifty six k exactly. That me too. Oh, it really drives me nuts, and I'm like, no, the no, no, twenty four hundred no. baud was like a quarter of the length or something of that. Exactly, it would go. Sequence. It would just go. You know, like it's so kind much of classier like, in those days. Yeah, and uh, and so much gentlemanly. Fought, yeah, and it just it just sounded more reasonable. It wasn't trying to, you know, do 
do digital gymnastics. It was just trying, just trying to get a basic connection. And it was this great video. So um, I, was, well, I, I just like smiled. I'm like, that's exactly what a modem should sound like. And, uh, you know, and I think even up to 14.4, it more or less sounded pretty much like that. And it was only once you got into the crazy V92 biz kind of stuff, V42, um, mm. that the sound really, really changed. And I was watching, it says, this is actually connecting over copper wire to uh, a modem in like a BBS in a distant city. And it was, it looked to be a fairly old video. And I was watching the screen load, the ANSI art load. And I was like, oh my God, it was even slower than I remember it. Mm -hmm. um, I was watching the ANSI art like load one character. It's going, and it was like, I'm like, did I really wait, you know, like 45 seconds to a full minute to get a screen full of like, you know, 16 color art? I'm like, yes, I wow. did. No so, kidding. yeah, 2400 baud, even slower than I imagined. Um. And then if you want to get really pedantic about it, you can think about how the video you were watching was like a 280 megabyte file. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Of this, like three kilobytes of data. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It made absolutely no sense, and I was yeah, just—it right. was just a gas. So yeah, I can really. It 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 has given me new uh, new appreciation for your hundred megabit uh, downstream uh, plan. Do you have this? Is I mean, since we're gonna might as well talk about connectivity today. Um, <laughs> do you have um, upstream and downstream limits on your tech savvy account? Down, um, we have a download cap of 400 gigabytes a month. Oh, that's pretty good. It's is okay, and uh, transfers between 2 a.m. and 8 a.m. don't count towards the cap. You're kidding. I nice didn't know too. that. That's beautiful. So I, Steam, uh, Steam actually lets you schedule updates, so it'll pause all your updates and then start them at sure. 2 a.m., so that's kind of nice. Sure, um, that's great. And uploads do not count against the cap, which is really awesome. Oh, wow, so that's I'm, fantastic. I think my upgrade was just is probably more for the upload. Yeah, my yeah my upgrade was more for the upload speed increase. Yeah. than for the download, which was fast enough to be honest. Oh, I totally you know, can appreciate that. You know, it's cable, cable modems have always had the. I'm never actually sure. If somebody please write to us or um, send us a voicemail. Why exactly? Upstream is still such an issue. You know, like for instance, with modems, um, upstream and downstream were identical. They were, they were, um, they were. You know, if you had one kilobyte upstream, well, you could get one kilobyte downstream. That was it. Oh sure. Um, well, that's. Uh, it's not a technological reason. It's just. Oh um, okay. It's because ISPs want to discourage people from running servers. Um, is that literally just it? That's literally it. Um, that's why ah. they came up with a service called ADSL, which is an yeah. asynchronous, asynchronous digital subscriber line. And it's yeah. called asynchronous because upload and download are different speeds. So they want you to be oh. a consumer more than a contributor of Internet. That's really disgusting. I had no idea. <laughs> a little bit because <laughs> you're absolutely right. Your 14.4 your, uh, kilobaud modem would yeah. upload and download at exactly the same speed and at the same time even if you had the full duplex connection. But uh, ever since cable modems came around, your upload is about one-tenth the speed of your that's, download. That's, that's terrible that they would, they would actually want to like actively discourage um, people to you know be creative and sharing. Like It's basically, you know, the great thing about bulletin board systems, I'm on this kick because I'm reading that 2600 magazine book. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> um, you know, it was like the idea was... Um, you know, if you have a modem and you have a computer, you can be, you know, a creative person. You can put up a bulletin board system. You can create a community network for other people to hang out on. Wow. So this makes you, no wonder why we're completely dependent on 
cloud-based services that run by companies way down in the states on super server farms. It's true. Wow, right. you blew it's my you just blew, blew my mind. This is all corporate stuff. I know. Well, I'm, I've been using a bandwidth monitor for quite some time, so yeah, it's a little thing that runs on my system tray, and when I click it, it shows me this like histogram line graph of how fast I'm uploading and downloading at any given time, and over the sure. past 10 minutes or so, second by second, it's a handy thing to have if you just want to be aware of what your computer is doing. And, wow. Um, downloads, I forget what the ratio is, but whenever you download, for every like megabyte you download, you have to uh-huh. upload like yes, that's correct. kilobytes or something it's like yeah the, it's uh, a cyclic redundancy check yeah yeah it's i think it's a limitation of tcp ip if i remember correctly that's it i think it's uh yeah i think that's tcp as opposed to udp which doesn't need yes the broadcast only yeah exactly yeah so our last connection the upload speed, so we had, I think it was 45 megabits down and 4 megabits up. And so wow. if I was downloading something at full speed, it almost saturated our upload. That's which crazy. It slowed everything down a whole bunch. So now the the ratio is a little bit better, it seems. So, you, so this explains now why. Oh, so this is an interesting TCP IP limitation. That means that if you are a person who is an active torrenter, um, your if you're if you're uploading like crazy, it will actually inadvertently cripple your download speed because it's not able to supply enough. I think they're called ARP packets, if I'm cor- correct. Um, ARP packets. Um, those are the those are the um, um, checking to see if the signal was received properly. That kind of thing. Uh, the oh, it's uh, um, ACK, I think. ACK. Sorry, ACK. There we go. ARP. I don't I don't know what ARP is. Um, ARP, that's uh, address resolution protocol. That's for oh, MAC addresses. Yes, that's what it is. MAC addresses. There we go. ACK. 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 Oh, I love yeah, all this computer stuff. I love our podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fun. it's like I love that I learn something every single episode. I'm like, and I yeah. and I usually find that something that I've stored in my head is probably wrong. <laughs> oh, oh. Ack. So speaking of which, we have a whole bunch of corrections, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, this is exciting. Shall we get to them? We, our yeah, prayers please. have been answered. We've been begging people to correct our, our many, many fallacies, <laughs> and so they've come to us in spades. Actually, I think we've only got two. I might have missed one, actually, from Twitter, and I can't remember what it was. But uh, Okay, I here, can't wait to hear Here's them. our corrections. Uh, okay, so we have two two from Trolls. Oh, wow. We love you, Trolls. Thank you so much for listening so intently, and for, especially for your uh, Commodore 64 stories. Those are really, oh, yeah. really great. That, that made my whole week, Trolls. I, I ended up, just because of you, I ended up listening to a fan, two or three fantastic episodes of Retro Bits podcast um, that were all about the Commodore 64, and oh, man, that, that just made me smile. Oh, did so you find the it. one about the fast loader cartridges? I, you know what, I, I, I couldn't find that episode actually. And Earl Evans on his episode actively said, "I've never used a fast loader cartridge, and I don't know quite how they work." So I have no idea where I picked up all the stuff on the fast loaders. Um, it might have been from some maybe some random YouTube clip, but I, I totally misremembered that. It was not from Retrobits. Oh, oh okay, you know what? You know what? I actually sorry. You know what it was? Oh, I just remembered. It's from the episode of Retro Bits. It, Earl Evans did not have a fast loader. It's the episode that I think I sent you on the um, um, what's the demo it called? Scene? The demo scene. Yeah, the demo scene guy talks about um, fast loader cartridges being used to produce some pretty cool effects too. 
Oh, it must be. That went over my head because I had never heard of them and didn't ever have a C64. So I listened yeah. to that episode, but that, that got past me. That That's right. That's where I must have heard it because I was like, I'm pretty sure this came from RetroBits. But yeah, he, Earl Evans himself, he's a very kind kind old guy. He says, no, no, no. I was not into the piracy kind of thing on the Commodore 64. I paid for my stuff legally. <laughs> well, and so did Trolls, it sounds like, because uh, he just used it to make things go faster. Exactly. He was the only, the only two Commodore 64 users who actually paid for some software. Yeah, that's right. Good on you, Good on you, Trolls. So one of his corrections, anyway, was regarding something that you had mentioned, Chris, about the C64. He said that there's oh. a command that is deload, whereas you had said B-load. Yeah, I yeah, I realized I I confused it with the trash eighties B load binary load function and his is D load. Mm. Does he have a correction? That is that is D load, that's the correction. Oh, okay, okay. So Instead I'm I guarantee I'm wrong about that. I don't know what D load does on the Commodore sixty four. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um and uh, his other correction was for something that I had said. We were talking about Starship Titanic, and I mentioned owning the novel, which I had erroneously said was by Douglas Adams. But I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna say that I was justified in this misunderstanding. The, this book was actually written by Terry Jones of oh. Monty Python. You're kidding however, me. However, the name of the novel is Douglas Adams Starship Titanic. By, by Terry Jones. That's very confusing. <laughs> so screw off. That's really confusing. What the it's hell so is that? Bad. That's like saying like like I don't know. Um, um, I don't know. Like Mary Shelley's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, um, written as written by you know Brian. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I don't understand. Yeah, Sid, Sid Meier's Pirates by John Romero sounds like. Oh, that, wouldn't that be awesome? I would love that. Oh, man, <laughs> that would be amazing. why did I have to say that? Now I'm daydreaming oh. about this incredible, ungodly Frankenstein of a game. That would be fucking oh. incredible. All I can imagine is just, like, high-paced action. That sounds awesome. Oh, man. Okay, and, like, gr- great, start... great FM synth music. <laughs> <laughs> no, before I start drooling on myself thinking of this awesome idea. Uh, so, yeah, so that was his correction anyway. I think he said something like uh, Douglas Adams didn't have time to write the book or something because oh. he was making the game and writing another book at the time or something. Gotcha. So he kind of farmed it out to one of his buddies. Okay. Uh, so that was that. And then um, Amayarat Akago, our uh, our uh, very dear listener and uh, one-time guest of the show. Yes. Hello, Mr. Akago. And hello Hi, Akago. We, we miss you. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you're still around. Um, he says that Nocturne was made by terminal reality and not creative oh, reality. Yeah, he's right. He's absolutely right. Damn, I thought it was the same company. And that creative reality made a game called Dreamweb, which I think I watched oh. Akago play on his YouTube channel, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it was kind of a like, cyberpunk noir sort of a game. Yeah, it's a total diamond in the rough. Um, I really actually never connected those two. That's great. I had no idea they did... Dreamweb, um, one of my favorite uh, adventure RPG games of all time. Well, I guess it's just mm. adventure. It's not really RPG, but I love it. I can see. Yeah, it was like the top-down. Wasn't it a top-down perspective? It was, yeah. Very, very rare to see that in an adventure game. It is. So thank you, uh, gentlemen, for your corrections. Oh, thank you so much. Those are that, that, That's really cool. I mean, really exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'm also happy that Akago had actually heard of Nocturne because no one talks about that game. <laughs> yeah, Akago's really good at uh, knowing uh, a lot of these Diamond in the Rough uh, lesser-known games. He's uh, Absolutely. a first gamer. Yeah. Oh, great. Hmm. 
So, oh yeah, so um, before we get to, well, we don't even have a topic this week. Today's really <laughs> going to be the scraps of picking up the, the crap hole that we didn't have time to finish in previous shows. Exactly. I guess before we that do that, we, uh, how would you like to uh, let the listeners know what you've been playing this week? Oh, sure. Um, I actually did something kind of interesting this week. I um, uh, I think I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, Betrayal at Crondor, and I was saying, you know, I think you mentioned that you didn't get too far into it. You got to play a little bit of it. I can't remember. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And um, and I was, you know, raving about how great it was. A very overlooked classic. Um, and then I just happened to be looking at my bedroom floor, and there was the novelization by Raymond D. Feist. Um, oh, really? I didn't read that one. I read another one of his books, though, and I loved it. Oh, did you? Um, did you? I read Magician Apprentice. I think it was oh. the very first game of the Rift War saga. That's right. That's the very a, first book, I mean. Apparently it's a classic. I had never read any of his other books. Oh, that's a great book. I think I remember reading that that book, he was, it was the first book that he ever wrote, and he didn't know that much about writing novels, and that just yeah. gave it this really fresh sort of a style. I think he like kind of developed his own style in the many, many books oh, that's great. that he wrote after that. But I loved that book. I have that book, at least one copy of that book, on my shelf, but I don't really huh. like reading on paper anymore. I like reading on my sure. phone or something like that, and I can't find it for purchase anywhere. I don't know oh. what happened to this book. Oh, that's interesting. I, I always see uh, that uh, like a, a paperback version of that book in in um, used bookstores, and I never think of picking it up. That sounds like a recommendation to me. It's a really good one, and I guess his. I don't know how long his series are, but they're really, really long. So they are, it's yeah. And to find number one, and I don't know quite where Betrayal at Crondor fits in the Rift War saga. I think it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I think um, the middle or relatively early, perhaps. Yeah, and. Um, it's got an interesting story behind it. So here's, I mean, talk about weird. This, I don't think this happens ever. I think this may be unprecedented in games, but I could be wrong. So I always thought that Betrayal at Crondor was a book, and then they decided to make a game based on the book, and that became the game. And it was actually the exact opposite, which is kind of unbelievable. Um, mm. Betrayal at Crondor was a game that the developer, um, this was, uh, I think it's a Dynamics-made game made by a couple of um, uh, people, folks over at Dynamics, and they basically approached Raymond D. Feist and said, hey, we, we love your setting, we love the whole Rift War set, setting, do you mind if we make a game based on it? And he said, well, go for it. I don't, I don't, he didn't really want to be involved with the game creation at that point. So what ended up happening was, they actually wrote this completely novel um, kind of um, um, story set within the same setting, same campaign, same same thing about you know it's a for anybody who's not familiar with the Condor setting, it's um, you know uh, magic and elves kind of stuff, um, kind of a very very light touch upon Tolkien in my opinion. They've added some some dark elf races that kind of stuff. And they wrote this completely novel setting. It's a great story, great game. It's got lots of intrigue if you're into that kind of stuff, a lot of kind of um, medieval politicking kind of stuff. Um, and it does gives you a really good sense of the characters and the places they visit. Um, and then, this is kind of weird, Raymond E. Feist liked it so much, he actually wrote a novel based on the game, which is based on his novels. That's um, weird. <laughs> it right. is weird. Yeah. And his novel perfectly follows let's say, an idealized playthrough of the game, which is, again, really weird. He actually, you can tell, he actually played the damn game, and he played it really well. Um, huh. he, he picked out what he thought were important um, battles in the game, important uh, moments, 
Um, there's some parts of the game. Um, I don't know if you remember. Sorry, if you're hearing a lot of wind, please let me know. Uh, it's not too the bad. Wind, okay. Uh, the wind's really blowing out here. Um, what he ended up doing was, um, from from what I'm piecing together, there there are cutscenes in the game where they they kind of show like pages of text which look like they've come out of a, like a medieval scroll, and mm. he actually uses those exact like texts and pages inside of his own book. So it's almost like uh, it's like a, it's like let's play Betrayal at Crondor as written by Raymond D. Feist. It's <laughs> like fan, it's like official <laughs> fiction of fan fiction. Yeah, exactly, uh, and it's. It's bizarre, and he does such a great job. You can tell he gets the game. He really understands the setting of the game because the setting of the game is slightly, so slightly different than um, the settings he writes. The characters are all, I, if, I'm, if, I, if I understand this, the characters are all new. Um, he gets the characters. He gives them, he kind of fills in the personality gaps that you don't quite get when you play the game. Um, and then he fills in all, this, all the gaps in between. So, you know, when you were telling me about your Lord of the Rings uh, playthrough versus the book, I was just like, oh man, this is like the perfect example of how two media genres can kind of cross over each other and influence each other. Outstanding. So I, I, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm really enjoying the book. Um, I really want to play the game again because the game has fantastic music by, I think his name is Jan, oh, Jan something Moorhead. Um, and it's got, it's got an absolutely fantastic soundtrack, and we have to, at one of the ends of one of these episodes, play put on this vocal soundtrack that's on the last track of the game, and it's just, you'll just, like, die laughing. It's on par with, like, uh, I don't know, um, oh, shit, is it um, Seventh Guest, or one of them has, like, a really bad, cheesy... Um, is it or at the eleventh hour one has a really cheesy vocal track on it? I can't oh, remember. Oh, um, the end of Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria, yes, yeah. It's like just it, on that level of cheesiness. It's great, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, uh, Betrayal at Crondor is just an interesting book, and it's so wild to see. Uh, yeah, a book based on a game, which was based on a book series which the guy had written originally, and um, and it just reminded me that whoever wrote the game. Um, did such a masterful job writing it, you could never tell that Raymond D. Feist didn't actually write the text in the game. Oh, that's awesome. I thought that he was responsible for that. Wasn't his name on the front of the box of the game, too? It was, yeah, and there's a picture of him on the back of the game. Um, huh. and, I, and I think, if I remember correctly, uh, if you had a Windows 3.1 machine at that point, what you could do is boot into Windows, and there was, like, additional... This is the first time I had ever saw additional features on a CD... Um, like kind of like special features on a on a DVD, you could go into this folder and they were um, like really. I love. I actually love this. Somebody sh- somebody needs to do this. Make um, start making videos that are in, use, encoded using really old codecs like Indio. If you remember Intel, <laughs> Indio. Yeah, the Intel codec. That's right. Yeah, you, I need, think, a, uh, you need a codec for it and a driver and yeah. Yeah. This, you'd have to Windows install 3.1. like the whole Indio suite of stuff, and then you were able to use the Windows 3.1 media player, if you remember that terrible piece of junk. Um, oh, sure. Used it all the time. <laughs> yeah, and it has interviews with um, Raymond D. Feist, and he like talks about the creation of Crondor, um, sorry, the creation of the Rift War legacy, and he was, if oh man, this has been like over 10 years, it's been a long time. Um, if I remember right, he actually says there that um, the the Midkemia universe that he was based on came out of him playing role playing games with his buddies. Um, and oh, he actually, really? 
Yeah, so it's no now talk about a weird history. You've got a pencil and paper role playing game that became a novel, that became a computer role playing game, that became a novel. So yeah, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. That's great. It's a product of its surroundings, of its time. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, and and, I, uh, and, and speaking of books, by the way, um, mm-hmm. the only other examples that I can think of, anyway, are Jane Jensen, who wrote. She wrote the Gabriel Knight games, uh, at least the first two Gabriel Knight games. Yep. She wrote those, and then she wrote novelization versions of the games. But she wrote both the games and the You're novels. You're kidding me. I had no idea there was novelizations of Gabriel Knight. Yeah, I think they were only they only had like one print run or something of each of those. So I oh, own and wow. have on my shelf Gabriel Knight 1 novelization. And I remember it being pretty good, but she changed a couple of things, and that rubbed me the wrong way. Um, the I would love to get my hands on the Gabriel Knight two novel just because I love her writing style and I love the story of that game. Yeah, I'd love to read it as a novel, but I can't find it anywhere, and there's no digital copy that was ever oh, damn. ever licensed. It's in like licensing limbo. Oh no, that sounds uh, that sounds fantastic. I I think this is like I think I talked about my game shame issue with Gabriel Knight that I've never gotten past the first couple of hours of Gabriel Knight one, and mm. uh, and I've never even touched Gabriel Knight two, so I don't even know what it looks like. Um, oh, those are both great games, right to the end. Oh, uh, I, I can't wait for them. I think that's like that. I think you know what? I'm just gonna just just gonna push it right ahead and scum DM that and um, and and push it right ahead onto my playlist for this week because I think that'd be a Even great. Even if you use a walkthrough, just get through them because they they're really really good stories. Yeah, and I and I honestly just like love. I know people are up and down about this, but I I love the uh, voice of Gabriel. I think it's just uh, uh, what's his name. Um, um, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Yeah, I think his over over the top New Orleans accent is just fantastic. I've observed that pretty much everyone but Americans liked his performance in that game. <laughs> Americans are like, that doesn't sound anything like it. <laughs> exactly. The rest of us don't know and don't care. Yeah, exactly. For me, New Orleans is like this this like magical place that doesn't actually exist. It's more just the place that exists in my mind. <laughs> mm. That's funny. So yeah, um, and novelizations. I remember there's there's a couple worth mentioning while we're on that subject. Um, there's sure. a terrible, terrible set of novelizations called uh, I think by Lynn Abbey of the Ultima series. I think they were called Quest of the Avatar or something. They were kind of loosely really? based on the Ultima five, four, five, six um, games. And oh, I've never uh, heard of that. Yeah, they were they were they were not so popular. But um, I remember. I had this, <laughs> when I was uh, 16 or 17 years old, I had an online girlfriend on an IRC chat uh, place I hung out at, and I remember sending her the novelizations of Ultima uh, from my house, and she was like very, very excited when she got these because she was obsessed with the Ultima series. And um, uh, the other novelization, which is actually pretty crappy, but I'd like to hear back from anybody, I think, especially somebody like Ben, because uh, I think Ben was a big fan of The Dig, um, there's a there's right. a di- novelization of the dig by Alan Dean Foster, um, oh. and I could not get through it. It was so boring. Like if you think if you think that the characters are dry in the game, oh my god, the book is like they ten are. times worse. Oh. It's a very slow plotting kind of game of like people wandering around by themselves noticing things. I can't <laughs> see how that would translate well to a, a novel. Really. Yeah, the whole theme of that game is like isolation. Yeah, and you know, like the the boredom you can hear in uh, what? Sorry, what's the name of um, the main character's voice? Um, oh, uh, I don't remember uh, now. Um, you know how boring he is. Uh, you know, just yeah. he even sounds bored when he's doing his voice voiceover dialogue. They gave him nothing to work <laughs> with. And he does, doesn't he? The 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 author, Alan Dean Foster, perfectly 
translates that into a boring character in a novel. Like, <laughs> he sounds bored even in text. Um, but at the same time, the dig, you know, the one thing that Dig does really, really well is, uh, I love that, you know, you know, four hours of very boring stuff, and then all of a sudden somebody cuts his goddamn hand off. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I just like that's like such a great build up. It's like I had n- nothing warning me that this was coming, and uh, I was just like, "That's ah, beautiful. I love it." <laughs> so um, anyway, anyway, so um, Condor, um, I I think the books books definitely worth getting, and especially because if you get the book, you get the CD at the back of the book. Um, oh, the C- yeah, the CD is actually stuffed in the sleeve at the very back of the hardcover version of the book. CD of the game or of the yeah. audiobook or of the soundtrack? Yeah, of the, of the game, yeah. You get um, oh. Betrayal yeah, you get Betrayal at Crondor plus I think a semi interactive, maybe a demo version of Return to Crondor, which is supposed to be, you know, kinda crappy. Um and uh yeah, so that's on there and I think there's a bunch of interviews with Raymond D. Feist and that kind of stuff. So um, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, it's the kind of thing, if you find it for two or three bucks in a used bookstore, the hardcover version, I've seen it everywhere here, at least out here. Um, it's just, just grab it. It's, it's a fun little read. You can finish it in probably a couple of hours, and it's, it's enjoyable. Hmm. Um, I've also been playing uh, Willie Beamish. Um, I got super stuck. Okay, this is the first time I'm ever going to do this, but I need a hint. Um, somebody, somebody please let me leave me a voicemail with a hint who's played Willie Beamish beginning to end. Um, I'm really, really stuck. I, I got to a part in the game and, and this is because now I'm do- I want to do this the old school way before I get my girlfriend to look it up online and cheat and, you know, finding a walkthrough. And I'm like, no, 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 this is, we're going to make this more like 1994. Um, I need to ask a friend. I need to phone a friend. So, um, if anybody remembers, there's a part in the game where Willie gets to East Frumpton, which is kind of like the rougher part of town, the industrial part of town where the Toot Sweet factory is. Um, there's a part where you get like this really weird encounter. I'm sure it was like a movie reference to like, uh, uh, I can't remember what movie that is called. The, the, it's like this gang shows up and they all start snapping their fingers. Like they're going to break out into this jazz dance. And Oh, like, um, oh, ah, shit, what the hell is it called? Is that West Side Story? Yeah, that's it. The Jets and the Sharks. Yes, yes. And, and and I was trying to figure out what the reference was, and they start snapping the fins like it's like get them, fellas, and they they go and beat the crap out of Willie Beamish and kill him. Um, you know, rip his rip his intestines through his throat or something. I can't remember what the cutscene is, but probably. Um, yeah, probably yeah. Um, although it, it did have this memorable line. Um, you have like this big bouncer standing at a door, and he's like swinging like this monkey wrench in his hand, and you're like, oh, the bouncer's going to take care of them, and the, bou- the bouncer's like, says something like, oh, my girlfriend read my horoscope and said it's a bad week to get in a fight, so here, and he throws, him, throws Willie Beamish the, the monkey wrench. Now, here's the thing. I have a smoke bomb, so I throw the smoke bomb at the guys, and they get stunned for a second, but then if you try to hit the exit button to leave the room, he gets, one of the guys runs out from the group and beats up Willie, and that's the end. Okay, fair enough, so it's not the smoke bomb. Then I try, there's a fire hydrant right beside Willie, and I'm holding a monkey wrench. So, obviously the solution is, open up the fire hydrant thing and spray the guys and knock them down on their asses. Click on the fire hydrant, nothing. Use the monkey wrench on the hydrant, nothing. And I'm like, so the fire hydrant's just background? Um, it's not usable. Um, I'm totally stuck. Willie Beamish is stuck in this confrontation. I've like 
save loaded 200 times and it's so incredibly frustrating i i just i really just want to finish the game at this point all right there you have it listeners hook us up with an answer if you've got one please i haven't gotten that far in the game i will be forever in your debt yeah and and it's like you know what the game is just growing in my esteem joe's episode on willie beamish is like the world's best um what would you call it uh apologia for Willie Beamish, a game that everyone much maligned over the years, especially Richard Cobbett, absolutely mm. destroys that game in one of his classic playthroughs. Um, but yeah, it's only growing in my steam, except for some really, really bad puzzles halfway through. Most of the game um, is not does not spend its time trying to waste time by screwing you over with really bad, obtuse puzzles. And for the most part... The solution to the puzzles are very, very obvious, and it just wants to keep the story going. And then this time, I'm just I'm stumped. I'm doing something wrong. So please enlighten me. All right. Best of luck. I hope that our listeners have the answer to that one. I hope so. Um, uh, and I've been playing a little bit more of the game I mentioned, I think, four or five episodes ago called Ballyhoo. It's the Infocom text adventure about the circus. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Quite some time ago. Did you oh, put it on the shelf for a while and came back to it? I did, yeah. I got stuck. And, and it was, you know, again, as obtuse puzzle issues. And um, this time I went back into it. And I'm like, okay, fresh eyes. And sure enough, I found a ticket underneath the bleachers in the big top area. Oh. So I was like, oh, cool. I got the ticket so I can get into the, um, get into the um, what's it called, the freak show area of the game. Because so, you have to get past a turnstile. So okay. I go stick ticket in slot, and it says it rejects your ticket. Um, perhaps you should read the instructions on the ticket, um, or per- perhaps you did not follow the instructions on the ticket. So I go mm. look at the ticket, and it says um, a, a copy of the ticket's included with your Ballyhoo package. Oh crap! So oh. yeah, so of course this is like a. Now this reminded me of the difference between good. What's the word? Um, oh, the feelies. Yeah, a good feely and a good um, copyright or copy protection check and a bad one. So a bad one is Sierra. It gets says on line 35, page 6 of the King's Quest 4 manual, what is the word? Type it in the word. That's a bad one. Mm-hmm. It's a word search. It sucks. A good one, in, and this is Infocom at its best, a good one is one that does not get you to do a copy protection wheel. Again, that's just a that's just an annoying... Um, an annoying... Uh, um, thing yeah, to go it's arbitrary through. copy protection. Arbitrary, yeah. exactly. What this is, it's first of all, it's a really beautiful ticket. It actually looks like a cool 1930s era circus ticket. Um, but even better, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. Like that's a natural thing. Instead of just saying, you know, look up the number on this line, it says, no, you have to reason this out. You can't just glance at the ticket and get your answer. You have to figure out how to do it. Um, and oh man, talk about brilliant. So the Ballyhoo ticket has. A, a, a blue um, perforated notch at the top of the ticket and a pink one at the bottom. And it mm-hmm. says, when you give your ticket to the ticket taker, please either remove the blue notch to say that you're a boy or the pink notch to say that you're a girl. And I was just like, that is very odd. And then I, I'm like, wait a second. And this says that on the back of the ticket. I'm like, wait a second, does that mean that in-game they actually want me to notch the ticket? So I, in-game, I go, remove blue notch, and it says, you've notched your ticket. And I'm like, and I stick it in the huh. machine, and it works. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's, well, that's hmm. so brilliant. So it's like a, an actual physical puzzle that you have to do in real life 
to figure yeah, this out. Yeah, that's amazing. It's like an artifact from the game that you're holding in your hand that's come to life. That's, yeah, that's so and you cool. actually have to malign the artifact to play the game. Um, well, you don't have yeah. to, but I mean, I, I totally did. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, that's, that's brilliant. Like, who, and this is what makes Infocom Infocom is that they realize copy protection isn't fun. What's fun is a puzzle. And even if it's just a very easy puzzle, still still make your player think just a little bit in order to um, get past it. So, kudos, Ballyhoo. That's really and, great. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm stuck again. I got stuck like one minute later. I'm in the freak show, and I don't know what to do in the freak show. But still, um, wow. Um, for a game that's all about a 1920s Great Dust Bowl or 30s Dust Bowl circus, it's it's fantastic. I'm looking up uh, this game, by the way, uh, on uh, the internet right now, and apparently the game box comes with a whoopee cushion. <laughs> no way! That's too cool. And it says "Traveling Circus" on it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's got it's got a uh, scary ass cover though. Cover worst cover art on earth. I do not like that cover. Doesn't it have like a big big clown on the front? cover of clown space. Oh, it has like a like a circus barker kind of a guy standing at this ticket podium and he has oh, this okay. creepy look on his face. So it's not the clown. I think the clown might be on one of the manuals or something. Ugh, I don't like it. Um, it is, I, I might be the only person kind of that, on this podcast. I, I really, really don't like clowns. They really bother me. Nah. So, my sister had friends like that. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I didn't think I had a phobia until my girlfriend and I went to Paris once. And uh, a clown accosted me on the bridge where they have all the locks on. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I remember, like, explicitly avoiding, like, walking as far as I could. And he singled me out from 200 people walking, watching in the crowd. <laughs> he singled uh, me out and, like, tried to drag me into the thing. And then he did this really annoying thing where I was, like, trying to scurry out of there like, like, like a mouse. And he actually did this creepy thing where he started to like do the very slow like do 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 kind of walk behind me, um, uh-huh. and he like shadow walked me for like a hundred feet, and you know the crowd just thought this was the funny thing on earth, funniest thing on earth, uh. and I was just like, oh god, I'm like now I know I I truly do, I I truly am freaked out by clowns, so. Oh, that sucks. You know, uh, that's actually one of the puzzles in Gabriel Knight one. Really? What's well, a puzzle? I won't spoil it for you. You haven't played it, but okay. you'll have you'll have unfortunate flashbacks when you get to that <laughs> point early in the game. Are you serious? I think it's on it's on day one of the game. So oh god, and, and like you know, and like this clowns like this, isn't there like also a clown the guy who plants the bomb at the very start of um uh shoot um I remember oh, freak, broken sword broken sword yeah it's a freaking clown uh, that plants yeah, the bomb in the uh, in the cafe. Uh-huh. It's, it's just, creepy. I don't know, it really bugs me, and I don't know why. Um, it's like a very irrational fear I have, and I just don't like their faces. Something about their faces. I can live with the, the puffy mm-hmm. pants and the weird shit, and the hat pisses me out, too, to be honest. But it's a face. There's something really wrong there, and I don't know what it is. Oh, it's not uncommon. <laughs> so that was my playlist for the week. Well, what have you been playing or working at? All right, so I didn't have too much time for games this week. I, yeah. I uh, played a bunch more of Techno Babylon, which I'm liking oh, quite wow. a bit. Um, I don't know what to say about it yet. I have to play the whole thing to get to the end of it, but I okay. am really, really enjoying it. There's a lot Good. of like nerdy computer stuff because it's like a futuristic <laughs> uh, cyberpunk yes. kind of a game that it's like it tickles me in all the right ways. The, just the references and. And uh, stuff like that. It's a very, very good game so far. Really good Great. atmosphere and good characters and good story. It's what I. It's the minimum of what I expect from uh, from uh, Wajedi. 
and uh, they don't disappoint on any level. It's very Absolutely. good. Oh, they actually they disappoint on one level. There's a a voice actress who plays a French maid, and she has yes. a terrible French accent. So totally, <laughs> this is going to be that. This is going to be that Gabriel Knight Tim Curry exactly. thing. Only only Frenchies and Canadians know what the French accent is supposed to sound like, and everybody else probably doesn't know and doesn't care. But it well, and we're and we're doubly cursed because we think a French accent should sound Quebecois, which they, you know, anybody from the U.S. thinks that they should sound Parisian, and they sound completely yeah. different. I mean, I always love, uh, you know, saying to people like in French, you'd say, uh, uh, I don't know, if you, je ne sais pas, je ne sais pas, you'd say that in in. Uh, uh, and uh, in Parisian, and if you're really Parisian, you'd say je ne sais pas, monsieur. I, you pronounce every single syllable. And then if you go to <laughs> Quebec, they go. If you say, you know, where's the where's the where's the bus station? Oui, le le place pour l'autobus. Um, they'd say, um, je peux. <laughs> and they just go, Chipo, I don't know, I don't know. And it's like, like, yeah, like Quebec is like the, like the Texas of accents. Like it's just like, I don't know, or no, uh, I guess like, like the, the, like the, the Appalachians, yeah, or the, like the Cockney of French, right? Exactly, yeah. And I, I was, I was raised with uh, Quebecois accent, so I really had to focus my French going to Paris to to speak amongst the Parisians and I, I, I really overdid it. I think trying to sound Parisian, but it was the only way they would understand me. Cause I tried, <laughs> I tried speaking Quebecois and they just came and gave me this raised eyebrow. And it's you know, like, what are you a 14th century lumberjack? Like what, where did, where did that come from? <laughs> no, so, great. uh, yeah, I know. I, I appreciate your pain. That sounds awful. Mm-hmm. And plus I think so that was... I tend to use the same voice cast for all the games, right? Um, I think to some extent they do. I haven't heard any of the big names. Maybe I'm okay. not listening well enough. I don't know. I'm kind of um, curious if they used um, uh, the guy who plays uh, uh, the voice of uh, Joey in uh, the Black Hole. Oh, series. is that Abe Goldfarb? Yes, Abe Goldfarb. Yeah, I would. I would kind that of expect guy... him to be in it. Oh, that guy! That guy! Instead of a voice box, he has butter. <laughs> that guy has the nicest voice. I love his voice. He's a great voice actor. So I swear, he just has like this lump of butter somewhere in his like, in the diaphragm of his lung, lungs. <laughs> please, if you're if you're if you're from Wajidai, please pass that uh, little uh, clip on to uh, Abe Goldfarb. <laughs> oh, please do. He's a great voice actor. I I He's never ever got tired of him. Oh, uh, me too. I love Joey as a character from me uh, too. the Blackwell games. Oh, so it, it only got better. Game, but maybe I'm not listening well enough for him. And you know the I always think you know um, that that last bit of the last um, Blackwell game just it, Joey's voice and it just chokes me up. He's he's got the perfect perfect uh, voice for emotionality, delivering the emotional impact in that game. Plays perfectly against Rosa. Totally, he's just this perfect combination of uh, of emotional but still cool. Exactly. He's very like laid back and lazy affair. Yeah, and so when you yeah. hear him get all choked up at the end of Epiphany, you're just like, "Oh no, don't break down, Joey!" It's uh, uh, oh, it's that great. Got to me too. It's great. It great, is great, great moment in that whole series. Fantastic. No, I I love Vice Jedi. That's a that's that's got to be the best adventure studio out there. Me too. It, it, I love that it always feels like a blend of old and new. Mm-hmm. That's great. Very much so. so. So I'm playing so, more of that. I'm hoping to finish that. I'm hoping to finish it today if I can. Oh, I wow. I can't wait to get to the Fantastic. end. Fantastic. Um, otherwise, just been playing kind of little things. I tried 
Oh, I, I picked up once again, because I had so little time put into it, a game called Papers, Please. Oh, yes. One? Yeah, I, I played a little bit of it, to be honest, maybe 10 minutes, um, shut it off at some point. Well, how are you finding it? Uh, so I played it for like 20 minutes or so when it came out, and it didn't. I, I got it, and I thought it was clever. Yeah. But I found it kind of stressful and not fun. That was my experience, put, too. And picking it up again, I felt exactly the same way, and I probably won't come back to it. But my yeah. wife loved this game. She played it a lot and got a lot out of it. And me peeking over and watching her playing it, it's more fun for me to watch her play it than for me to play it myself, because she's pretty good at it, too. I'm and terrified. She's like, a different... fu- she's like a future public service employee. Both of her parents worked for uh, ca- the Canada Customs Revenue Agency. That explains everything. Doesn't it? I know. She's got, like, bureaucracy in her blood. So this is very much a game for her. It's like, for some reason, I'm really enjoying stamping rejected on these. She did. Oh, man. She did, too. She would be, like, position it just right so that she wouldn't just stamp rejected on the person's passport. It would be right across the guy's face. And she would stamp it, like, three times and then give it back to the guy. Oh, my God. She really took this kind of malevolent pleasure in the I'm terrified for the day that she becomes a CRA employee. Wow. Oh, as you should be. <laughs> Beautiful. So, uh, I, I, the reason I was playing this game was um, because once every month I get together with my dad and my brother-in-law for what we call the manly dinner. We just yeah. have dinner together, the three of us. Um, so my dad was going to be off work, uh, before my brother-in-law. And so he okay. came over for a little while and we ended up just chatting a bunch. I wanted to show him this game cause he's a psychologist and he yeah, deals sure. with a lot of people who are applying for refugee status. And okay. I thought this would be an appropriate na- uh, game for him you to bet. see. He's the kind of guy that doesn't really necessarily think or isn't aware of how video games can be like a social commentary sure. or serious or he sure. just thinks it's like shooting Nazis with your laser beams. Which is, a so, which is a social commentary of a kind. Is it? Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Jeez, suppose Dad, so. come on. Really? He's just not sophisticated enough to get the nuances of the, the, shrink, exactly. the shrink ray or the freeze ray. Like, obviously, the, like the, the, the cyber demons are a metaphor for the SS. We, we knew this. Exactly. <laughs> of course. So I didn't get, he didn't get to see that. We, we had a nice chat instead. So that's oh. a reasonable replacement. So I didn't get too far in papers, please. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I'll mention to- playing this week, which I wasn't planning on until, well, I, I didn't even wasn't even aware of it again until this morning, was Cooking Mama for Android. Oh, man. One of the Cooking Mama games. I was so addicted to Cooking Mama on the Nintendo DS. I thought it was just a great, yeah, fun game. Uh, we had it first on the Wii. It's oh, a few games. Yes, one of few games that we owned for the Wii, and one of even fewer games that we thought was actually any good. And I think <laughs> the Wii was probably the best version because you had this whole like three dimensionality of having That's right. to emulate the different motions. It was a lot harder and it was less precise, but it was just more tactile and believable. It was yeah. a great medium. Oh, great game. So DS had really, really precise controls, like artificially precise controls, just because that stylus was such a great input method. Um, And so I I wasn't even aware that it was available for Android. I just found it. Wow, I'm shocked. So, um, and my wife was also a huge fan of this game. So I had a nice, you know, the the game is okay. It comes with a few, I mean, well, it's very good, I should say. It's a great game. It's a game where you have to kind of go through the motions of, Preparing a meal step by step, and yeah, there are all these exactly. And it's very, very tactile. You're you got to cut things up, and with your little knife, you've got to scrub the dishes, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so I was uh, I slept in a bunch, not as much as my wife though. Um, so we're just lying in bed, and I was uh, looking around for uh, since I, I have my nice new formatted phone. I was looking for some games to put on there, and I found this one by happy accident. So I started playing it a little bit, and so if my tummy starts rumbling and I'm I'm laying in my bed waiting and wishing that my wife would wake up, I'll like put on a game or something, and I'll just kind of slowly tap the volume button left one little notch or something like that. <laughs> Just trying to tap into some little corner of her subconscious that will make her open her eyes, and be, I'll be like, "Oh, are you up?" <laughs> oh, I, sorry, I I didn't realize it was so loud. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I did that with this game, and she kind of stirred a little bit, and then she got up, and so uh, I, I was going to show her, but then that coincided exactly when I with when I had to get up to go pee. So I walked uh, around past her, and then I just uh, got to the title screen of the game, and as I was about to walk out of the room, I just showed it to her on the screen, and her face just lit up in this pretty little <laughs> smile. She's like, oh, I can't believe it. So I had her my phone, and I went and did my business, and I came uh, back, and I didn't get my phone back for like half an hour. That's great. Oh, it's funny. I um, I was playing... Um, how, usually, like, I play adventure games on PSP, so... Um, my girlfriend loves falling asleep listening to me playing, yeah, Willie Beamish or something like that. It's pretty soothing to hear dialogue and stuff. Um, but I, I noticed a very interesting exception. Um, she got really annoyed when I would play Out of This World on the PSP. Um, she, she, like, I don't know what it was. I think it was actually the sound of me shooting the laser gun and then making the little shields with it. You go like, pew, 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 and and sure, sure. and like and then you hear like Roar! you know it's uh, somebody yelling and uh, yeah I hear her like kind of roll around she's like could you turn it down please I'm like it's already <laughs> as low as it can go <laughs> so yeah it was funny funny finding those little exceptions and um, oh that's great so Cooking Mama awesome I love that game I thought it was a really underrated title that kind of disappeared from the DS too quickly. Yeah, well, it's a game that belonged right away on smartphones, obviously, and it does a good job yeah. on the smartphone version. The DS Great. one was all, like, 2D art and sprites and stuff it like was, that, yeah. and the smartphone one is uh, 3D models, which works really well. And the Wii one was 3D models, too, now that I think of it, oh, because wow. you could, like, pick something up and rotate it, just like you could with the oh, cool. Wiimote. So the smartphone one, it looks nice. They have that horrible English uh, voice uh, voice files that we all know and love. Uh, see, <laughs> poor cooking mama, she... she uh, <laughs> Is uh, she's an expatriate? If that, I don't that's think very she's ever funny. Taken two steps out of Japan. <laughs> that's great. I think in the DS version, she didn't have a voice. If I'm, if I'm wrong. Oh yeah, she did. She did. Oh, okay, she I couldn't. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Um, oh, that's You'll know funny. When you hear it. Yeah, it's so been the, a long time. Oh, so you get a few recipes for free, and then if you want to buy another pack of like six recipes, it's like five dollars, and there's oh, six or seven wow. packs. Holy so it's crap! Surprisingly, it's actually more than the DS version if you buy all the content, which is yeah. If I remember correctly, I think I bought my copy for like fifteen or twenty bucks. It was actually like a kind of a cheap title to get for the DS. It is, and I mean, for the amount of play you can get from it, that's I'd, it's probably worth what they're charging, but yeah, on sure. smartphones, it just feels like a lot of money, I don't know. Uh, the free, no, it's a, the free-to-play model just stinks. I think there's, there's, no, there's no way around that one. It just stinks. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so anyway, that's what, I'm play, that's what I played this week. Okay, 
That's uh, that's uh, sounds like you had a busy week. That's that's pretty forgivable. It sounds like one of my average weeks. I was uh, mm. I'm I'm really looking forward to playing more of Serpent's Isle. I think I mentioned uh, that I had right. been using the Exalt emulator. I got really really stuck. Um, here's here's some advice to anybody who's uh, working on puzzly kind of stuff for either adventure games or RPGs. If you do it, please, for the love of God, do not put in puzzles that are just there to slow somebody down or waste their time. Let them, let them advance the story. Um, Serpent Isle had this add-on pack called the Silver Seed, and it comes bundled with, you know, if you get it from GOG, it's just automatically in the game. And what it does is it's a bunch of add-on, I don't want to call them missions, but they basically are, they're waste-of-time minigame add-on missions that just extend the story a little bit. They do nothing for the actual character development of the story. They basically give you a bunch of item upgrades that you can go back to the main story in. But here's the most unforgivable part. If you go to the Sil- Silver Seed area of the game, so if you warp to the serpent, uh, Serpent's area, uh, underground area, um, you are not allowed to go back to the main game for six days of in-game time. Um, yeah, and to advance time in the Ultima games, you need to sleep. So you need to sleep right. for six days. But if you need to sleep, you need to feed your character food. So right. um, otherwise, you die. Um, so the problem is, you actually have to go out adventure to collect enough food to not enable yourself to sleep without dying. It's just absolutely unforgivable. Um, I was just like, you know, I wanted to just skip in really quickly and just say, oh, you know check out the Silver Seed expansion and then go back to my main area and main quest and sh- sure enough, the game completely uh, prevented me from advancing the story. So the game stalled. I haven't played it in like 10 days. Um, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, that sucks. So, yes. Um, do we have any uh, any other feedback we need to cover? I was just realizing. No, after after just, two short hours, we can start the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what I was just yeah. thinking. We're, we're pulling another right. last week. That's okay. I don't know. Well, we don't really have a topic this week. Uh, I was thinking we could uh, just kind of wrap up our topic from last week and sure. see what else we've got time for. I would love to, uh, after we talk about our topic, I'd love to talk about one CD-ROM game that I didn't oh, get to talk great. about yeah. from there. That sounds we'll awesome. see where we're at. Okay, perfect. All right. So uh, let's finish off our uh, top ten arcade games. I, believe, I have five left on my list. How yeah, about you? I had five, too. All right, um, uh, why don't you go ahead and go first? Okay, let me flip through what I got left. Um, I know one that I haven't mentioned yet uh, that I really enjoyed was Qbert. Do you remember Qbert? Yeah, I didn't really play it much. He was really, really adorable. Um, Qbert, yeah, Qbert is this... Yeah, he's a loudmouth. It's a semi-isometric... Wait, unless I did mention Qbert in the last episode, I don't think I did. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, Qbert was this really adorable little little fuzzy guy with this little long schnoz, and you um, you make him hop around on this isometric grid. And the trick is, you just have to convert, um, switch all of the colors. If the grid starts off yellow, you got to switch them to pink by jumping on them once. If you jump on a yellow one, it turns to pink. But the trick is, if you jump on a pink, it turns back to yellow. So you've got to time out your jumps properly so you never jump on the same square twice. Um, uh, Qbert uh, is just cool. It's just something really cool about Qbert. And it has two things that I don't know if you knew. Did you ever play the actual real version of Qbert, or did you play it like on a PC or something? Yeah, I played it in the arcade cabinet before. Oh, great. So this is fantastic. If you've played, like, the, I think the company's called Gottlieb. Uh, it's a ger- uh-huh. German company, I think. Um, Gottlieb D- 
did two amazing things. A, Qbert uses voice synthesis. So if you ever saw, um, oh, geez, what's that Disney movie called? Uh, Wreck-It Ralph? Did you happen to see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. They reference it, don't they? Yeah, they reference it. They have Qbert, and he goes, he goes, and he kind of like does his little swear. Qbert's always swearing for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has like, you know, an exclamation ampersand dollar sign and colon semicolon two kind of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's always swearing. If you if you if he falls off the screen, he swears. He swears. Um, but the great thing is, it uses this voice synthesis chip that has never been properly properly emulated. Um, the the mm. uh, MAME emulator kind of does a semi-serviceable job, but it's I think it's actually just using um, kind of really poor um, um, like like digitized voice samples in 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 the space where an actual emulator of the chip should be running. Um, right. And yeah, so Qbert itself has this voice synthesis chip that's never been successfully emulated. And that was actually based on, I believe, some crazy uh, technology that might have came out of the Speak and Spell. Um, it was basically like randomized mm-hmm. data from a Speak and Spell, if you remember that toy. Um, oh, sure, I had one. Yeah, and uh, so they just randomized the data and that kind of thing to make them make this little goofy alien sound. And it's so memorable. It's just great. Um, the other thing that's great about Qbert is, well, there's two or three things that make it really unique to me. Um, I think it's just a cool game. I don't know how much fun it is, but it's cool. Um, the joystick has, it's a regular up, down, left, right joystick. However, it's been rotated 45 degrees in the joystick uh, on the uh, control panel. So mm. it's actual proper isometric movement. Like anybody who plays uh, a classic RPG that's isometric, when you walk, like for instance, to walk up and right, uh, sorry, to walk northeast, you press up, right? Because they map up to northeast. To walk southeast, you walk down. But Qbert actually had the joystick angled inside of the cabinet, so you're actually pushing up and left to go up and left, which is really, you know, necessary and important for an isometric game. So mm-hmm. um, the other, the third cool thing is, and I hope you remember this. Do you remember the sound it would make when Qbert fell off the side? It would go Doof! this big like thump. Um, uh, I don't know if I do. Okay, it it would make this big heart heart-thumping thud, and it was like, just sounded very, it sounded like there was a subwoofer inside of this thing, make it really rattle, and it would actually shake and rattle the cabinet, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I found out this year, uh, when I was rebuilding all these arcade cabinets, Hubert actually has a five-pound mallet inside of the, inside of the box, and it smashes the side of the arcade with a big, heavy mallet on an electromagnet. What? Yeah, no joke. Really? No joke. There's... Holy shit, that's cool. <laughs> I know. I was just like, you're not going to emulate that. No, exactly. What a bizarre thing. And it was just like, oh, it's so like, it's so tactile and so embodied. He just like smacks and ra- rattles the whole side of the arcade cabinet. <laughs> I had no idea. I don't remember that at all. That's incredible. I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe on later versions of Cubert, like the ones, like I think what happened is a lot of arcade owners, they bought the Cubert board. And they just stuffed it into whatever crappy, you know, like, I don't know, Marble Madness or Rastan, you know, arcade machine they had. So they, they were missing all of the extra stuff that you get with it, like the angled, the angled uh, joystick and the mallet uh, thing. Um, I can't remember. They call, and it has a special board that runs that, too. There's like a little add-on board that runs the, uh, I can't remember what they call it, the thumper. But I think they call it the thumper. And, um, okay. yeah, it's a five-pound mallet that smashes the side of the arcade net cabinet really hard. 
That's crazy. That's like from the Infocom Book of Feelies. Exactly. Like, what a brilliant so thing. Too cool. So yeah, I wow. love. Yeah, so that was a, that's a that was what I put under my coolest for for my Desert Island games. It's just you got to have a cool game there, even if it's not a great game. That's <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So what's up on your list next? Okay. Well, I guess along with your conclusion, my uh, the one on my list next uh, is probably not too far off from that. I put Battlezone. Oh, nice. My list. Nice. So this this was a neat game, especially when you play it in the arcade. The this actual... is another one of those, like, yeah, the cabinet cabinet. Yeah. So um, this was a game, like, the game itself, you're driving a tank, and uh, the graphics are these uh, three-dimensional polygon wireframes. I think it was, like, one of those vector... Uh, yeah, vector uh, drawing kind of games as well. Um, so yeah, you're just in like a, a tank and you shoot uh, enemies. Um, the there were two unique things about this cabinet when you play it in the arcade. Number one was that the perspective you would like put your face into this thing and look through a periscope. Oh yeah, that's um, right. Sort of. Sort of a periscope, sort of a thing. So you like lean your face into this yes. like eye holes, kind of like you're looking through they, binoculars. So yeah, they look like binoculars. I remember that. Mm-hmm. So that was a really cool thing. Um, I don't remember whether it had different different view for your left and right eye or anything. I don't think so. I think it was just the monitor that you looked right. through the thing. But yep. it looked like you were looking in this periscope sort of a thing through tank sights. The other thing was that it had two joysticks, one for each hand. Um, oh, and you would control, right. It was like literal tank controls where each of the joysticks controls one of your tank treads. That's so if right. you want to go forward, you push them both forward, and if you want to <laughs> turn 360 degrees on a dime, you would push one forward and one backward. Yes. Um, and for backwards our, is both for backwards. our Grim Fandango fans, this is the original tank controls scheme that yeah, actually right. works. <laughs> Grim, Grim Fandango was easier than this, actually. <laughs> it was just one joystick that you had to manage. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, it's a pretty simple game. If you've seen the movie Tron, it's like not entirely different from like the tank game that uh, what's oh, his name? Flynn is playing in that's his right. arcade. You might say. I'm sure that was uh, it, that the, was with the, a, with a, driving around the recognizers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although in his game it was filled polygons, which for the time I think was too graphically intense for arcade games to manage. <laughs> this is an old game. This must have been eighty four, eighty five, I guess. Yes, it was. was it even that old? I yeah, think. I, I, I think. So. I think Battlezone might even been like eighty one, eighty two. Am I wrong about that? It could very well be. I guess that would have been not too far, not too much before the Star Wars game, which had similar technology, I suppose. So I bet you're right that it is even earlier than that. Yes. Oh, uh, sorry. I was just hey Max. You know, my my cat, my mom's cat, Max, finally came out to uh, say hi. I'm just going to give me one second here. I'm... You go ahead and do that. There you go. He's... Um, so, yeah, she's she's panicking. She's her poor beloved cat, Max, and might have disappeared. No, he was just sleeping in a flower bed. Um, hey, oh. Oh, how are you doing, big fatty? Sweet. You look happy. So, um, oh. he's, he's, a, he's a gigantic... Totoro of a cat. He's absolutely adorable. Um, oh. I can I can I can I do I have permission to blow your mind about Battlezone? Please. I listened to this great podcast. Um, shoot, I don't know if it was you that mentioned it. It might have been actually Joe or on Joe's podcast. Somebody mentioned it. Um, called mm. uh, shoot, not Retronauts. Uh, retro oh, shoot, the Retroist. Retro. Did you ever listen to the Retroist? Mm. Don't think so. No. Oh, the Retroist is great. He has these episodes where he'll talk about here's what it was like being in a in a he, he's he's our age approximately you know kind of mid 30s early 30s 
And he talks mm-hmm. about kind of Americana of the 1980s and 90s. And one of the episodes was on Battlezone and Tron. And this just blew my mind. You, okay, so for anybody who hasn't played Battlezone, do you remember the monochrome kind of green screen and red screen, uh, kind of green screen for your tank and all of the wireframe stuff? And then yeah. it's kind of red screen, for, red for your score, I believe it is. Uh, I don't even remember as much as that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like red on the bottom. I think to record your score. I think it's the only part of the game is to blow up other tanks, right? Um, yeah. Well, it's actually a black and white monitor, and the upper screen is just green cellophane over the screen, and the bottom of the screen oh, is red wow. cellophane. Yeah, isn't that old school? That is super old school. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, when he said that, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe that makes so much sense. They're like, yeah, why would you get a color monitor for two colors? That's too expensive. Just use a black and white and put cellophane over it. That is mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. And then I guess there's like a ton of games that are like that I didn't even know about. So, um, yeah, arcade technology. They did. A lot. Oh, yeah, here's another one. Um, Space Invaders, same thing. That is green cellophane for the Space Invaders and uh, another type of cellophane for the bottom. Oh, I never played that one in the arcade. I played that like crazy on my 8086. I love that game. Oh, yeah. Me, arcade. I don't think I've ever me seen too. I never actually got to play the arcade one either. But yeah, pretty pretty crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, well, that's uh, all I have to say on that game anyway. Yeah, exactly. Battlezone's a good choice. Um, I wouldn't have thought of that one myself. I actually kind of forgot about it, to be honest. But yeah, that's that's awesome. Just the form factor and the two the two joysticks, I think, is what I like best of all. Exactly. It's a really cool way to, to control your guy. Do you happen to remember the last time you played Battlezone? Oh, a hell of a long time ago. It must have been 10, ten years at least. Oh, yeah. I have not I have not seen a Battlezone machine in a long, long time. I had an opportunity to buy one locally and then the guy sold it for 100 bucks, and I was like, oh, damn it, I wish I could have. I didn't get it in time. Hmm. Um, yeah, um, I was trying to think, what should I talk about next here? Uh, okay, how about this? The funniest game I've ever played in the arcade. Um, I, I had to find something to make me laugh. Did you ever play a game called APB? Yeah, <laughs> APB. APB. I did. Was that a top-down? It was car game. It was a top-down. I love that game. Oh my god! It was okay. So it's a top-down car game for anybody who's played something like Spy Hunter. You might recognize it. Um, um, Spy Hunter was a top-down driving game. You drive your little Spy Hunter car around, and you I think you shoot down other people. APB. You play a mm. cop. Um, and you drive around a cop car. The greatest thing about the game is you get a steering wheel, right? Um, try, hopefully I can jog your memory with this. You get a steering wheel. You get, uh, I think it's a gear sh- No, sorry, there is no gear shift. It's just a steering wheel. You get a button on, um, beside the joystick to turn your, uh, fire up the roof and turn your red, red and uh, your sirens on or off. And then you get a little gas pedal down by your foot at the bottom of the arcade machine. Right. So, sorry, I'm going to chew in your ear for a minute. Um, The best thing about this is you hit the siren on the top of the arcade machine where the marquee is. It turns on flashing red and uh, and, uh, blue sirens that actually flash and strobe inside the arcade, which is just amazing. And then it turns on this really loud siren. 
Um, That's right, that you hear in the arcade. You hear in the arcade, whole arcade can hear it. But the best part of the game, the funniest part of the game was, it was, a, it was actually one of the very few, I think they were called high-res arcade games. They were running at like 640 by 480 or something crazy. Um, mm. Like double the regular resolution. And they had this great animation, because your, your job was to hand out tickets to, um, for driving violations on the highway. So you'd speed up to cars, and you'd follow behind them to see if they're violating. If they're a speeder, they're driving too fast. You have to slam on your, your siren as soon as you get in behind them, because if you drive with your siren on, you actually lose a life. You get yelled at by your boss. Um, and I hopefully you remember, your boss is this big, fat, donut-eating dude. He goes, ma, 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 and he kind of like yells at you, <laughs> and you get demerits every time you get yelled at from your boss. So... Uh, and I think you get three. You have a maximum of three or five demerits or something in the game, which are basically your lives. And um, mm. so, if you drive with your siren on for too long, you get demerits. It's basically like the mini game in Police Quest, but like done perfectly. Um, and then my favorite one was like, um, I think it's like a it's a car of like ten people. It's like crammed in. It's like driving without seatbelts. If you pull up behind them properly, you get them a big massive ticket. Um, there's another guy who's like littering and throwing papers outside behind of his car. It's like Paperboy meets Police Quest driving simulation. It's just perfect. Um, oh, it is, isn't it? It's just hilarious. And the analogy. Yeah, and the cop who yells at you, the, your 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 big boss man, is just like got the funniest digitized voice ever, and it just made me laugh like crazy. I think he has like donuts or something like spraying out of his mouth while he's talking, and he's got like donut bits mm. all over his face. Um, it's just just absolutely just goofy and hilarious, and it's got everything you'd want in a in a good driving simulation too. So yeah, that was APB was high on my list. I gotta play this one emulated again. I love this game, and I can't. Pick, I'm doing a bad job of picturing it. Yeah, it's it's the trick is like when as soon as you see the color palette, it's going to come right back to you. There's like a lot of I don't know. There's just like a lot of goofy colors, like the one of the. The, the speeder's car, or sorry, the, the people were driving with too many people in the car had this big pink Cadillac. It's kind of like very reminiscent of GTA 2. It's very over the top. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, hopefully that'll jog somebody's memory. Um, what do you got next on yours? All right, what do I have next? Uh, next is another relatively old one. I'm going to talk about Time Pilot. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was like a... This is like a shmup kind of a game. It's it's got the weirdest perspective where you can't quite tell if it's like top down or sideways. That's it's, right. Or both, just because of the way that your ship rotates. But you're like you're in this futuristic looking kind of jet uh, plane thing at the center of the screen, and you uh, are on a 2D plane where you shoot around at the edges of the monitor from the middle at these like waves and waves of aircraft that are uh, shooting at you and yeah. coming towards you. You can also. Rec- uh, you can also uh, rescue people that are in parachutes by flying over them. Um, right. And there's a good variety of different enemies. And so after you clear each level, you go through this kind of a time portal sort of a thing and uh, go to a, a whole... Uh, like, you go a few more decades into the future. So you start off That's by sh- right. shooting down, like, uh, World War II World War II planes. planes. I remember only... And, I'd always get stuck in the first stage. It was a tough game. It was a really tough game. I got pretty good at it, and it's the kind of game that 
whether you're playing with a joystick or a gamepad, it's going to hurt your hand <laughs> just because of the how intensely you're going to be. Cha- you change directions a lot in this game. Yeah. Uh, with the thumb pad or with the the gamepad, um, you start off in World War Two. Or no, I think even before that, you yeah. start off the yeah, like shooting down biplanes and yep, stuff, and exactly. then you shoot like uh, Japanese zeros or something. Then the next one is Vietnam, and you're shooting these like jet ah. fighters, like MiGs. And then modern jets, and then uh, flying saucers, and I think that's, that's as far as I ever got. And at the end of each level, there's like a a big enemy they have to take down. There's lots of firepower and takes a lot of hits. Um, really, really, really good game. Terrific, simple arcade game with just one button. Uh, and haven't really played another game with a perspective like that. Really, it's like it's I don't know. I might say it's sort of like Smash TV. It's like Smash TV oh, if you are a shark. Yeah, because that, you can't that's stop. A good comparison. All you can do is go forward and shoot the way that you're that you're facing. Yeah. So that's a an old favorite of mine that I would always drop quarters into. That's great. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember I playing Time Pilot at this old. Um, yeah, the, I, I love. You know what I love most about arcade, arcade games is it was kind of like the cult, whole culture that came with it, um, or the whole childhood that came in, kind of like in a coherent package. Time Pilot was that I was I was um, going to school in a small town, you know, a little hick town, and um, during lunchtime, if you were a junior high student, you needed a um, a permission pass from your parents, a permission slip that said, "Yes, my child's allowed to walk up town to go to the grocery store or whatever to get lunch." Um, and what we would do is, I would tell my parents, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I want to go. Can I have five bucks? I want to go, or two bucks? I want to go and get a, um, I don't know, like a." a chocolate bar or something downtown at lunchtime. So they'd write me a little slip, give me two bucks. And I'd go downtown, and the first thing I would do is go to the laundromat, actually. And the laundromat, you'd go in and get your two bucks changed out for quarters. And then what that would allow you to do is play a couple of arcade games in the laundromat, or you could go to next door to the VHS rental store, um, and they had Time Pilot there. Um, they had Time Pilot side by side with another game, which is very similar to it, called 1942. Um, I don't mm. know if you played that one. Um, they, it was a toss-up for me between Time Pilot and 1942. Exactly. I was like, I those, those are my, two of my favorite shoot 'em up games. Um, mm-hmm. And they had the same structure too. You know, you'd fly, shoot a bunch of little minor planes, and then you have a big, big ass boss plane at the end uh, that had like mm-hmm. multiple turrets on it and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, my my memory of that is so specific. It's of getting two bucks and blowing at least a dollar on 1942 and then blowing the rest of my quarters on time pilot. And then it's like, Oh my God, it's 1230. I got to run and I have to jog back as fast as I can back to the school. Um, because mm-hmm. I, you know, 1235, I think is when the next class started because we only got a half hour lunch, uh, lunch break at that school. Right. So yeah, I don't know. It's like most of my memories that involve these games are very, very specific ones. I'm kind of sad actually now that I think about it, that I picked, you know, my best of games because I probably should have just picked games that I have very specific memories of because, you know, for instance, Cubert I did not grow up with. Um, Cubert was one of those games that you had to go to, like, a fancy rich arcade because I think it was a very, very difficult uh, and expensive game to get. Um, Cubert was, really? Oh, because of the mechanics of the... Yeah, I, I think exactly. But the mechanics, and also I think because the machines were actually, like, built in Germany and shipped out to the States. Um, I think... Huh. Cubert was one of those games. Are you games. sure about that? I, I, I could, thought Gottlieb might have been an American company. It might, you know what? It might have been an American company. Now you're you're right. Um, I just remember somebody they called, did pinball machines and stuff. Yeah, but I, why do I think Gottlieb was like German? This is really weird. It's and a like, German name. It's got a German name, I guess. I don't know. Some arcade history Maybe thing. Maybe you're right. 
Uh, I've got something confused in my head here. For some reason, I remember Gottlieb being connected to Germany somehow. Maybe that. Maybe it's just the owner was German at some point, um, and then became un-German at the other point. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember Kubert was really, really hard to find. Oh, and the other obvious big thing is um, Kubert was probably one of those games because it had so much electromechanical stuff in it. It probably broke down a whole lot. Um, oh yeah. And arcade owners are famous for that. As soon as something breaks down, they do not say, "Well, you know, we'll put the." out of order sign on it and someday we'll get back to you know get it get somebody in to repair it they just like they right. just gut the cabinet and stick tetris inside of it like if they they do not want it out of operation for more than 25 minutes a day so or they just let you drop your quarter in there and like yeah. two of the buttons don't work and exactly you left exactly and yeah. then like for me my memory of arcade owners this is probably not true but my memory is like some greasy guy with a stained shirt and you know with like a <laughs> With a with a, like a leather, uh, what would you call that? A uh, 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 what was the the pouch you could wear around your hips called? That terrible. Uh, oh, the fanny pack. Fanny thing. pack, yeah, like with a leather fanny pack on. You know, digging quarters out of his fanny pack to exchange it, and he's like, you know, hey buddy, your game's broken. And he's like, yeah, well, too bad. Get the fuck out of here, you little punk. You know, mm-hmm. that was my memory of things. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, um, and and like I said, the small town I went to school in, um, we didn't have a proper arcade. We we had, you know, these arcade machines that would be in these like somewhat not illicit but somewhat sketchy kind of things. Like I remember, um, the VHS rental place, they they always positioned the arcades like right near like the little double doors area to the porn section. Um, which you could always kind of so so. <laughs> I remember some of my buddies. What they would do is um, this is not me actually, but I, I'll, I would own up to this if it was me. And it was not me. I, I wasn't smart enough to take credit for this, and I was a bit of a scary scaredy cat. Um, what they would do is four of you would kind of go into the arcade area, and they also had a Street Fighter Two actually. Um, Street Fighter Two before it became like Super Hyper Fighting World Championship Edition stuff. Um, right. They, um, we would go by the Street Fighter machine. Two of us would start playing, and then two of us would start watching. And you know, the video store owner would keep an eye on you. And this is at lunchtime, um, while we're in like grade eight or grade nine. Um, and then two, <laughs> I, I did not do this, but two two people would sneak um, sneak past you and and scoot underneath the double doors into the porn section. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I. I specifically remember he will go unnamed on this podcast because uh, he would be quite embarrassed about this if he ever heard this. But I specifically remember him stealing a VHS VHS porn tape and taking it back to his house <laughs> and like slipping it oh, under nice. his jacket. And and I I just thought they went back there and looked at them. I didn't realize they were actually steal, stealing VHS tapes. Um, <laughs> so I remember yeah getting back to his place. He's like, hey guys, look what I scored. And I'm like, oh my god. I'm like. Well, I now know what our trips to the, the the video store were really about. It was not about playing Street Fighter. Right. <laughs> oh, good story. <laughs> yeah, that's like small town life at its best. Yep. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. So, what do you got? What else do you got on your list? All right. What do I have next? 
Oh, next I have one that I played all the time at Bullwinkles. It oh. was right near the front, uh, right near the front uh, of the arcade part. After you walk in the front door, okay. and you turn left, and there's the arcade. Yep. This was Operation Wolf. Oh yes, is this the one that I might have screwed up and confused with something else last week? That I thought it might. Um, I thought I thought I thought it might have been Narc or one of those other. Is this the game that has the Uzi connected to it? This is the one that has an Uzi connected. Yes. To it. Yes. Operation Wolf is amazing. Love this one. So this is a game. It's a fir- it's a first person shooter, isn't it? It it's is like a first person rail on rail shooter. Exactly. Um, the controller is this great big Uzi that's like mechanically connected <laughs> to the cabinet. I suppose like it's got like a vibration like a force joystick. feedback, right? Oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I go, about brrr, that, where brrr, you pull the trigger and it. Brrr. Yeah, that's right. So it has this awesome meaty jiggling feel while you're while you're emptying your <laughs> uh, your magazine. Um, so I I think technically it was just like a big joystick sort of because it was like it physically was. connected to the top of the cabinet. Exactly. Whereas like future light gun games, they were just like on a rope sort of, and you could yeah, you could actually freely. pull them out. Yeah, this thing was like physically jammed in there. Mm-hmm. And it worked well enough while you were moving your like while you were aiming your thing around. Am I remembering wrong? I am remembering wrong. No, there wasn't. Uh, there wasn't any uh, uh, crosshairs on the screen. You would just kind of shoot. Oh, really? Like that, That's pretty difficult. Wow. Like, I don't know. That's... I can't remember now. I can't remember I played either. I an emulator most recently, and uh, there's a crosshair for the emulator. Okay. I can't remember whether the game had its own one. I... There might have been a power up that gave you a temporary one. I just don't. Remember. I suspect it didn't because I remember specifically with Operation Wolf. If you were careful. You could actually use the, um, uh, what are they called? Not crosshairs. Um, oh, the iron sights? Yeah, the ir- iron sights. Yeah, you could actually use them, and they would line up pretty darn well. That I, I have both sides of the fence memories, because yeah. either it would it would be perfect, otherwise uh, maybe the be, gun was like off a line. Or be or completely wrong. Have to, like, <laughs> that's right. You have to like shoot a bullet to see where you were aiming and sort of extrapolate where... If you're aiming the gun, it actually points over there. Oh, that was part of the that challenge, sucks. too. That's annoying. Yeah, that's definitely part of the challenge. So this is a game where you shoot hundreds and hundreds of people, and there isn't a drop of blood. Exactly. Uh, you just get this little, like, uh, this little kapow explosion sort of over them, and they, like, jump up in the air, like, backwards, and then yeah, they Yeah, don't they, don't they do, like, a bit of a tumble and fall to the ground kind of thing? Different guys had different yeah, animations. Yeah, animations. Yeah, I remember that really well. But they disappear when they're dead. So, yeah, you I shoot go, tons, go, like, tons oh! and tons of guys. And it was, uh, yes, and it was um, in uh, Vietnam, I think, was the, the setting. Yeah, it's funny, like... I guess so. It's funny how that's, like, passable now in a way that it would never be allowed. Like, they would never have, um, I don't know, um, they would never create an arcade game now where your job is to sniper Afghanis. Um, <laughs> yeah, really. You know, like, <laughs> that, that would be a little bit politically incorrect now, but now it's like, oh, come on, it was Vietnam, we are killing all sorts of people. <laughs> You know, it's it's totally yeah. cool stickers in arcades. That's true. So you're yeah, you're you're like the big tough white guy, and you're shooting. Well, I don't even know if the you're in the Vietnam War, but I, as I recall, all the people you're shooting are also white. Yeah, guys. Yeah, they were also white like, guys wearing green uniforms, which made no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like I, it, it right. definitely felt like Vietnam because all the vehicles were like the Vietnam era jeeps and stuff like that but i was like yeah and there were helicopters like that too like yeah the, like was it supposed to be some sort of imaginary like 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 to, we're not allowed to actually put the Viet Cong in here so we're just going to stick a bunch of americans in here and i don't know you're going to town maybe it's maybe it's like this deep big deep metaphor kind of like jacob's ladder and it turns out that the people <laughs> People in it. Yeah, and the more I think about it, maybe it's like one American soldier who's just like going rogue and shooting all the other <laughs> exactly. American soldiers. And, like, he shot all his buddies in his platoon. 
Okay, I'm getting sad thinking about this. It's <laughs> very disturbing. But mechanically, it's just a it's just a silly little uh, shoot 'em up, first person uh, rails shooter. Yeah. Um, it was the kind of game where it's pretty much impossible to avoid being hit. So it's like a quarter muncher where the only, you'll, you're guaranteed to win if you put enough quarters into it. And yeah. I don't think it can be one on one quarter. That's actually um, a good question. Like, can you actually like? Can you you can't dodge anything, can you? You can shoot people before they before shoot they you, shoot you, but... but eventually, the game had the game had a pretty good processor, I guess, or a nice lean coding because it would put a lot of guys on screen. That's and they right. Would sort of like blink, they would blink red a moment before they shoot, but there are way too many guys yeah. for you to really avoid that. And they would throw grenades at you or knives at you, some guys, and you could shoot them while they're in midair and blow them up and deflect them. And uh, it's just a really uh, frenetic, chaotic, uh, classic. Kind of an arcade game yeah. with a cool cabinet. Yeah, remind uh, me, did I, you have to reload in that mm-hmm. game, or did it automatically replenish your, your Uzi? It automatically reloaded you. You had, like, a finite number of magazines, okay. and sometimes things would either fall out of a, a dead body, oh. or it would just, like, fall slowly from the top <laughs> of the screen. That's right, and, and you, you had would, to shoot it. Of course, you would. You had to shoot your thing full of bullets to get more bullets. That's and put them right. In your gun. I remember now. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It, you so know, you were funny. always kind of on the cusp of running out of ammo, which was kind of exciting. Too. Yeah, and I remember so many games use that formula after that. Like, even up to most recently, did you ever play the Jurassic Park sit-down, shoot-em-up game? Um, I think it was called uh, The Lost World. A little World. bit. Um, a little bit. Yeah, it was sort of like House of the Dead it style. It was very House of the Dead-ish, like, yeah. And, but it's, yeah, it's, I played that one a little bit. It was too expensive, I think, to play much of it, as I remember. Yeah, if you can believe it, our our, our little arcade at the uh, movie theater still has it. And it's still like a dollar! Like <laughs> That's like a movie theater kind of a game, I get, Exactly. And um, my girlfriend and I sat down and played it a few months ago, and I'm like, this is actually ridiculously fun. <laughs> and, it's a uh, good one. Yeah. I was, I was, it's got like cinematography and everything. It did. Dinosaurs like bite at you and you have to shoot them so they retreat away from yeah. you. Yeah. And there was, there was cut scenes, like an actual like story unfolds as you're playing the game. Um, you're, yeah. You and your friend, your best friend are kind of driving around in this Jeep and it's, they totally like House of the Dead. And uh, But it follows the same formula. You got like little power-ups and little healing packs that you can shoot off the screen to... Um, heal your character, and there's a little bit of slight warning that the Velociraptors are going to attack before they, you know, you get the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, I forgot how many, you know, so many games owe so much to Operation Wolf. It's very true. So this this was, the, the next game I'll talk about after you take your yeah. turn is uh, the same way, but this was one of those games where there's like a whole genre of these sorts of games, and I had to think, if I'm on a desert island, what's the one that I'm going to want to play the most? Oh, wow. So that's yeah, that's Operation Wolf anyway, oh. and it's even more fun in an emulator when you. That's right. I'm remembering now that you did, definitely didn't have crosshairs yep. in the game because you do have them when you play it on an emulator gotcha. like with your mouse for the light gun, and that makes the game absolutely dead easy. Yeah, right. Which is okay because it's really fun that way. But it gives you like you can snipe with your Uzi more or less. There's actually an interesting so, thing that, about light gun technology. Um, did you grow up with a Nintendo or a Sega Master System or both? I had Nintendo, and mine came with the, the mine came with the gray, Ooh, the gray light gun, yeah. which was uh, later banned because it looked too much like a real gun. Exactly, so that's a rare one. Did you get to keep it? Yes, I still have. Oh, it. Oh, beautiful! So, did, so now, now I got to drill you, drill you on this. Did you have the deluxe set, or did you have the uh, Robbie the Robot set? No, I didn't have. I didn't have the Rob Robot thing. No. Oh, okay. So you got the, uh, the I can't remember what it was called, the action set. You had the action set. I think it was called the action set. Yeah, how about you? Um, you know what's really sad? I didn't get a Nintendo until I was in grade 12. Um, oh, really? 
you just, you, I don't know if you could hear that. My, I, my mom, I'm sitting in her backyard, we're visiting her house, and uh, here you go, listeners, here's some classic family stuff. Uh, she, she walked outside watering her plants while I said I, I really sad thing is I didn't have a Nintendo grade 12 and she said oh my god and she gave me like this you're so deprived <laughs> I can't believe I sounded so deprived kind of look <laughs> so the um, I had a Sega Master System my mom got me a Sega Master System when we were in grade 7 grade 6 Maybe grade six, mm-hmm. um, maybe grade five even, because we were trying to keep up with uh, a couple of friends of ours. But the interesting thing is the Nintendo Zapper and the Sega Master System uh, Zapper were completely different, um, and I only found this out as an adult. Um, the Nintendo one allowed you to stick the uh, the Zapper as close as you wanted to the screen and cheat. Um, and you know, up to a certain right. up to a certain limit. I think you could get like a, about half a foot away or six inches away, and you know, game the shit out of uh, out of Duck Hunt, right? Um, mm-hmm. And which I did. Like, well, I, I think I'm, I lied. Maybe grade ten, I got the Nintendo. <laughs> you know what? I actually specifically remember this. I got a Nintendo ten games, which were all boxed, uh, a Game Boy, and several other games, and it cost me a bag of chips and a can of Coke. What? Yeah. Like, seriously. Those, those are some valuable chips. I, I, it was a guy at my, in my class, never forget him, his name's John, um, a super sweet guy. His parents would always buy him games, and, you know, his parents weren't rich, but they were, they, I don't know, they, they were just, they, they, he was their only son, and they bought him a lot of games. And I remember in grade 11, he got into snowboarding, and he decided that he didn't care about video games anymore, even though he had, like, you know, played them like crazy as a kid. And... His mom had told him to clean up his room, so he's like, oh, I'm just going to get rid of all my video games then. Um, and I remember at school, he was, like, practically giving away all of this stuff, and I was like, hey, John, do you want to sell me your Nintendo? And I was, like, going to at least offer him 20 30 40 50 bucks. And he, mm-hmm. he's like, buy me lunch. And I'm like, where do you want to go? And he's like, oh, just get something from the Coke machine and from the... Uh, the uh, oh, wow. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, that's, that's all I wanted. He's like, but they have to be dill, t- dill pickle chips. <laughs> so so, so dill, old Dutch dill pickle chips and a can mm. of Coke for the Nintendo collection that I still have to this day, which I cherish and love forever. Thank you, John. Oh, wow. Well, in his defense, old Dutch is the only company that makes good dill pickle chips. That's actually a really good point. You know what? Lay's dill pickle chips are really underwhelming. Yeah, no, Old Dutch is the best. Yeah, they're definitely they're definitely the best. And plus, Old Dutch makes the best ripple chips that you can put in dips. Um, hard to beat that. So That's true. Oh, man, this has just jogged my memory for a... Uh, this is a, a random yep. teenage memory all of a sudden. Okay, so I don't know if this was like a Canada thing or a Toronto thing or a worldwide thing, but at least <laughs> in the Toronto rave scene, yep. there was a big fad to wear T-shirts that had some sort of a, a corporate logo oh, that had been like bastardized. Totally, or, that was like mid, or, like early 2000s kind of thing. To, is this around that time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, totally, exactly. totally, late, totally. Late 90s, early 2000s, sure. So... You would see one who was like for Bell, but it said Hell yeah. instead. Or there was, the famous one was the Dunkin' Donuts, which the Ravers changed to Fucking Go Nuts. Um, I never saw that one. The one that I would, the one that I would never forget because I loved old Dutch potato chips so much growing up. There was like an, uh, uh, it was a picture. I don't remember what the real logo was, but there was like a picture of this like crabby old 
old grandmother in a rocking chair with the old Dutch word mark logo, but it said old bitch. <laughs> I just love that. Oh my god, that's fantastic! For anybody who doesn't, who who didn't grow up in Canada, because I don't think old Dutch exists outside of Canada, um, please, right. please please go online and look up the old Dutch logo with the old windmill on it and stuff. That's what we grew up with, and it's, that's right. it's still around. Old bitch, that's, that's so right. awesome. So to this day, my wife and I know she never saw it, but I told her the story, so we always refer to them as old bitch. Oh, okay. So this is really embarrassing. Oh my god, my girlfriend was laughing so hard the other day. We were walking. We were walking through uh, a local uh, uh, local uh, um, uh, grocery store called Sobeys, and I'm like, hey, do you want any old ouch? She's like, what? And I'm like, want any old ouch, or do you want Lay's? And she's like, what the hell is old ouch? And I'm like, look at the logo. Until, uh, this is really embarrassing. I, I actually, like, called it old ouch until I was in grade nine, and then wow, I gotta see this. <laughs> I, got, I got called out in the most public way possible. Um, I was in grade nine, and I was told to work the the school concession. Like you had to take a shift. Like in everyone in the school had to take a shift to help run the concession to raise money for the volleyball team. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, <laughs> I was running the concession, and I said somebody came up, and they were like, "What do you got for chips?" And I'm like. Well, there's like either old ouch or there's like Cheetos. And this girl looked at me, her name's Katie, and I'll never forget that. She's like, oh my God, what did you call it? I'm like, oh, there's old ouch or Cheetos. And she goes, <laughs> and then she just yelled out in the hallway, Chris called it old ouch. She's like, you fucking idiot. It's old Dutch. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and and I was just like, I just like flushed, like I like almost fainted. It was like the worst possible, like most embarrassing thing, because I realized oh. at that moment that I'd been calling it old ouch for like you know fifteen years straight, and no one had ever said anything. <laughs> right. Oh, it's terrible. And it, oh, it, that fucking awesome. D looks exactly like an O. It's not my fault. Terrible font. Terrible yes. font. I'm gonna look this up. Old Dutch. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's just like as a kid, I just couldn't. Oh my gosh! It looked exactly like an O. Thank you. What the hell? Thank you. <laughs> it really does. I mean, there's the O in old, and there's the D in Dutch, and they look different. They, they look very totally slightly different. That. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that's even better than old bitch, man. I think. I don't know. I don't want to make you feel bad, but I might have to start calling it that. Yeah, old ouch. I was like, just, just like, it's like Pete herself laughing, hearing that at the grocery store. I had to tell her the whole story about being like publicly shamed by, by my, my classmate in front of everyone. Oh my God. It was like, sad. And then they started calling me old ouch for a, for a couple of weeks in class. Oh, it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> this is what happens when you grow up in a farm, you know, farm town with people who have nothing better to do with their time. So, uh-huh, well, that's kids anyway. <laughs> do something like that. Yeah. So, how the hell did oh, great. we get get on the topic of old Dutch? <laughs> I don't remember uh, who did their game last. Oh, um, oh, yeah. That I, I think I've got a, got a game that I think you might have played. I hope you played. Well, right, let's hear it. Um, I had to pick the best multiplayer game, even though this is inexplicable that I would be on a on like a desert island and I would want to be playing a multiplayer game. I still want one. Um, Oh, that's a conundrum, but okay, I'll give it to you, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say the Simpsons arcade game. Just like, Oh, excellent. Oh, I'm so in love with that game. My girlfriend and I uh, re- recently, well, geez, like, I guess it's almost been a year ago, um, 
did a little trip out to uh, Calgary, south of us, and we specifically drove all the way out there because there is this place called Tubby Dog. And I don't know, do you remember the story? I might have told you about this a long time ago. Uh, no. Um, so. Tubby Dog is this place that sells hot dogs, and it's uh, just like a hot dog stand kind of off of Seventeenth uh, um, Avenue, Calgary, which is kind of like the the party party central kind of area uh, where all the bars are. And um, famously, in there they have a ton of arcade games, classic ones. And stuffed off in the corner was so we drove three hours to go play play arcade games and eat a hot dog. Um, stuffed off in the corner was the Simpsons arcade game and oh my god was it fantastic so it's a four player game with a huge 25 inch monitor and they I think do a very very serviceable uh, job of redrawing all of the Simpsons characters in low low res rasterized uh, uh, graphics and it's basically um, Street Fighter I think that's the best way or no sorry not Street Fighter uh, I'm, I'm going to say Double uh, Dragon Final Fight yeah Double Dragon. Double Dragon, yeah. yeah. It's just Double Dragon. Beat them up. You beat, you beat up everything on the screen. But Marge has a vacuum cleaner she fights with. Um, Homer, I think, beats yes. people up with his... He has a bowling ball? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, oh, he has his fist. He has his fist, and then you can pick up a bowling ball. Um, yeah. Um, Bart has a skateboard, and he can, and he can like, swing it around and attack people with it. And I think Lisa's got her skipping rope. Um, yes. And my girlfriend and I, like, it, it was, the, the place was, like, you know, fairly busy... Um, we were the only people playing arcade games, and it was really funny. Um, I don't know if everybody was like feeling a little bit of game shame, too embarrassed to go play these games, but we just like walked in. We didn't even eat food. Well, I was just like, give me 10 bucks worth of quarters. And the lady's like, okay, you guys going to go to town on the games? I'm like, yes, we are. And I was here thinking, you know, 10 bucks will last us like the whole day, like Jesus. We literally spent the next 40 minutes in front of only The Simpsons, and we put... 15 or $17 into that damn game, and we finished it oh, right it. then and there. Oh, you did it. Wow. It, that game has really punishing bosses. Oh, they're ridiculous. They, they're totally they worse unfair. Worse. Uh-huh. And, um, That's awesome. See, I've never played this game in the arcade as a grown-up when I had $17. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of changes everything. It does. You can just endlessly feed quarters in the machine and you don't give a shit. It actually feels funny. It's to. like, well, 25 cents. Like I, I can't even get parking for more than one minute with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I'm having a blast. It was, uh, I think it was 50 cents a play, so it was still actually quite pr- pricey. But um, It is. They, uh, yeah, they, this thing sucked the money out of us, and, it, and literally. So the funny thing is, the first, the first half hour or forty minutes of the game cost us eight bucks to play through. We only died a few times, and you know, just refilled a few times. Well, I guess refilled sixteen mm-hmm. times. Um, but the last end boss is Mr. Burns, and it is the most bullshit boss of all time in a game ever. Mm-hmm. I, on a recent, he's ep- like a robot or something. He is. He's a stupid cybernetic like. Cyber Hitler, kind of like in a like a metal me- metallic suit kind of thing, um, uh-huh. and you have to like bust off the robot pieces off his body, and then you finally at the very end of the game you get to beat Mister you know Mister Burns. Um, it is the biggest bullshit end boss ever. I don't care what you fra- say, Francisco. Um, it makes um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, have like the most reasonable seeming end bosses <laughs> ever. Uh, <laughs> sorry for anybody who missed the latest Blue Cup tools. Please go listen to that best rant ever on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. I have to watch the let's play of that because of <laughs> yeah. boss was complaining about. Yeah, it, it was. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and we spent ten dollars beating Mr. Burns. Ten bucks. Um, <laughs> it was ridiculous, and it was just like every time we'd finally defeat him, he would like zoom all over the screen again, and it's like, oh, it turns out you only knocked off one of his seventeen arms. Um, Mm-hmm. And it was just an absolute bullshit. And but the funny thing was, um, we finished the game. And I can't remember how the resolution is. I think, I think you get the goal is to get Maggie back because she gets abducted by Mr. Burns and Mr. Smithers for stealing some sort of. Um, she she confuses a diamond for a sucker in her mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And but we finished it and got to see the ending. And it's actually like a kind of a nice. The Simpsons walk into the walk off into the sunset at the end of the game. And it's actually kind of a nice ending. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, the one specific memory I have of this, well, I have two memories. One was um, there was a cheap dollar theater um, um, down the street from my old place that we'd go play this game at. Um, and, and I have, like, very fond memories of playing uh, The Simpsons at the dollar theater. The craziest part was, this is unbelievable. So um, the dollar theater one had this stickers and gum on it, stuff like that, made it very recognizable as that Simpsons arcade game. Um, just because, you know, people would, like, stick their old gum on it, or they'd stick some crappy, like, banana peel sticker on it. And right. so this would be 1994, 93, when I was playing it. The one at Tubby Dog was literally, even though this is one city away, was the actual one I had played at that movie theater because the stickers were still on it. <laughs> wow. Isn't that bizarre? That's incredible. I know. Oh, that's super cool. As soon as I saw it, I was like, I feel this weird sensation in my stomach. Why? And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the Chiquita banana sticker that's been on, on the side of that control panel since 1993. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, unless, wow. unless there's, like, some weird dude that, like, likes sticking banana stickers on, on Simpsons arcade machines. Um and the other fun, funny part... <laughs> that is nostalgia. Yeah, it was like crazy nostalgia. Um, like, that's the small town, small town kind of thinking. Um, and then the funny thing was, uh, this is like a... Keep in mind, this is a restaurant, right? Um, in the middle of our game, we actually ran out of money. I think I got, I think I got 10 bucks at first, and I realized, I was like, there's no way we'll run out of 10 bucks. That'll be good enough for the whole day. You know, halfway through the Simpsons game, we ran out of our 10 bucks. And I remember there's this part, because the problem is... If you don't, um, there's a countdown on the timer. If you don't plunk in two quarters right away, it actually boots you out of the game, um, and you, you lose your high score or whatever it is. So I had 10 seconds to make it from the arcade to, to, to the front counter where the cashier was to get another 10 bucks for the quarter that I just remember this moment where I yelled across the entire restaurant. I said, Hey, I need 10 bucks for the quarters. And she's like, what? what? I'm like, I need 10 bucks really fast. Give me 10 bucks. Give it. And she goes, okay, okay, okay. Don't rush me. Don't rush me. And I, <laughs> so I sprinted across the restaurant, threw down the 10 bucks, and I ran back, and I like plunked in two quarters as quickly as I could. And I remember I had one second left. It's like, dong, 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 dong. I'm like, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Bart, you want to see my chainsaw and hockey match? <laughs> exactly. Ah! So, yeah, exactly. So I remember, like, just like all of a sudden, there's like this big awkward silence in the restaurant. I realize I've been yelling, uh-huh. <laughs> like yelling like a like like a complete nerd. Give me, I need my quarters. I need to finish this game. Oh, so it was it, it was it was a lot of fun. Jess was laughing her head off. It was great. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. So yeah. Oh, beautiful. 
Yeah. I played this one. I must have played this one at Bullwinkles, too. I don't remember any particular place where I played this one, but I did play a whole bunch of it as well. But not too much because it gets really bullshit. Oh, yeah. It's a total quarter sucking machine. You know, if not for the if not for the licensing thing with those awesome looking Simpsons characters on right. it, it would not really be exactly the, exactly it, it's it's basically Double Dragon without the without the punching a girl in the stomach and then throwing her over her shoulder so you can see her panties uh, intro. That's that's right. <laughs> what a bizarre way to start a game, Jesus. I suppose. Yeah. So this is very close to the next game on my list oh, anyway. Nice. Which I I had three games in my mind, and I'm like, I'm not taking. They're basically these three are basically all the exact same game. Okay. I'm not. I'm not picking all of them. One of them was, of course, the Simpsons game. The other one, which was a close, close to being my number one yep. game, was the X Men game. Oh, nice. Was basically the same as the Simpsons game, but you can actually play with six people That's at the same right. time instead of four. Yep. Oh, and you forgot, by the way, to mention some really awesome thing about playing that game multiplayer, which was that you could have two of your players like stand on top of each other. Oh, and do you're this, right. Like, it's this like combo move where like they would hold hands or whatever, and they did like a spinning, then, so they, spinning attack move or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's this like super invulnerable, kill everybody on the screen kind of a move, and you could only do it while you were playing multiplayer. Yeah, so I think that they would make their that's absolutely correct, and I think you even. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think... Oh, geez, I can't remember. You might need three or four players to pull it off. I can't remember. I don't think Jess and I even noticed how to, figured out how to do it while we were playing last time. I think it just... I think you yeah, you can do it, too? Two. Oh, that'd oh. be cool if there was, like, a whole family of <laughs> That's, pretty, that's uh, crazy. Formidable. We didn't even think of trying that when we were playing. Oh. So that, that's, oh, that's I don't great. think you need to do it to win or anything, but uh, so then there's the X-Men game, which is very similar and has its own charms as well, but the one that I chose that was exactly like these was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, beautiful. Game. Oh, man, that's such a so, great game. I love this one. The best, very best part of this game, of course, is the intro, which looks almost exactly like the cartoon, and it has like yes. the, the theme song and everything. Um you're the Ninja Turtles. You get to pick from all four of the different guys, and they all have their own signature weapons. Um, you just punch a whole bunch of guys. They're all robots, yep. so they explode on contact. And <laughs> you fight all the big bosses. Oh, yeah. Aren't they, aren't they, they like ro liberties. robotic versions of all of the characters or something like that? Like, they're like bad. Like they're, aren't they like robotic copies? What are the bad guys called in TMNT? Um, the foot soldiers. The foot soldiers. Are they... Well, in the in the cart, I think in the comics and the cartoon, they're all robots. Oh, they anyway. are robots too. In okay, I couldn't remember correctly. Yeah, I used to collect the comics. Ah, the, the soldiers were kind of downplayed in the comics. They didn't really feature them much at all. Yeah, in the cartoon, they were a big deal. Yeah, um, they were. But uh, I think the bosses were the real bosses. I mean, you like, there's no blood. You just defeat them yeah. and then they fall over. And yeah, like Be that's all there Bebop is and it. Rocksteady. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love those characters. Oh, they. I don't know what is there to say about this game. You, it's it's really exactly the same as the Simpsons game, just with different sites and different characters. Yeah. It had cool voices and stuff. The both this game and the Simpsons game were made by Konami, and they were. That's right. Uh, the Simpsons one actually, I believe, like however you know the the eight lines of dialogue in the whole game <laughs> were written by someone who actually spoke English. Yeah. Unlike 
the Ninja Turtle game, which I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but the, some of the voices are wrong. And oh, really? They don't say anything of any consequence. They just have a bunch of, like, generic threats and catchphrases and stuff. Yeah, it's I like remember there's, like, you, you, get your, like a pe- you get, like, a pizza upgrade, and it's like, ooh, pizza, something like that. I can't remember how that's it goes. That's right, it's pizza time. Yeah, pizza time. Yeah, yeah that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I so, a fun little beat-em-up, four players. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do remember how, like, the graphics for the... Opening cinematic were really good. Like it actually looked like They're a TV outstanding. show. They were, yeah, they were. I'm gonna stick this in the show notes for sure. I'll put the uh, Simpsons one too. Oh, good. The Simpsons one had a cool uh, attract mode at the beginning it too, did. where it has like a little bio profile of each of the yeah each of the character the Simpsons. It's great. Yeah, I, I remember that really well. It's like age Homer, age 39, kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember that really well. But the Simpsons drawings were not nearely as good as TMNT in my memory. For some reason, I remember. I the think you're right about that. TMNT looked really good. Yeah, the Simpsons ones were almost there. I don't know what it was, if it's just the character designs or what, but they looked a little bit off. Yeah, they looked yeah. off, and I think they were very close. Oh, you know what? Actually, you know what's funny? I probably have a pretty good explanation of why they look so crappy. I forgot that game came out in like 1990 or 91, and that's still like hmm. season one, oh, season that's... two Simpsons. So they just look bad already. That's true. Season, they all looked a little bit wonky. Season right? one Simpsons, like, hello, boy, how are you doing today? Kind of that's thing. Pretty, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they hadn't really found their voice quite yet. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, TMNT, I never did finish that game, but I owned, wasn't the, yes, it was TMNT, the arcade game. It came out for the n- regular Nintendo, um, and it was actually yeah, a pretty faithful port. It was okay. No, it, it had a lot of differences, actually. Did it? I can't remember. You saw the same sites, and for the most yeah. part, you fought the same enemies. I think there might have been one or two zones that were new. Yeah. But the gameplay itself, the combat was quite a bit different. Oh, okay. Um, and it had all this... I think it was this the first the, the arcade game. It had all this Pizza Hut. Uh, <laughs> Pizza Hut uh, ads all over the place as well. That's awesome. That's okay, Is though. Pizza Hut a Canadian chain, or is it like North American? Oh, I don't know. Cause like, out, the out, logo has a little Canadian flag on it, which is sometimes indicative of it being like a Canadian yeah. American company. Yeah, I exactly. Don't I don't know either. Like we listeners, do you have a pe- if listeners if you have a Pizza Hut near you, please. Let us know. Yeah, this is very important. Pizza Slut is like the best place. Two, 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 <laughs> two medium pizzas for ten bucks in the summertime. It's great. Uh, uh, oh, not in Toronto, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like it, it disappeared from from Western Canada a long, long time ago, like five years ago. So we we do not have one anymore. I don't know what happened to that whole chain. Oh, we still got you. Still got them? Uh, my grandmother from Winnipeg. Yeah, my grandmother from Winnipeg goes there. Oh, I'm so jealous. They, they they completely disappeared. They got overtaken by this like little mini evil corporation called Panago out here, and um, oh. and they yeah no they're gone. They're, all the Pizza Huts are just. Just completely gone. There's no more restaurants there. Oh, now I'm feeling all nostalgic about Pizza Hut. Greasy ass deep fried pizza. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, the pan. <laughs> all right. We're getting on in the we're getting on in the minutes here. We so are. why don't we polish off our list and sure. uh, skedaddle? I think I I think uh, I, I think I might have I think I started first, so I ran out of I ran out of um ran out of stuff on my list. Oh, are you all done? I think so. Um I talked about APBQ. Oh, you know what? Sorry, I lied. There's one last one. The problem is I don't even really want to mention it because it's just so ubiquitous. Um, it's not. There's nothing very special about it, but I still really love it. I picked the hardest game that would basically keep me busy the entire 
like like the entire time on a desert island, I'd play it until I was dead, and I'd still never finish it. Is Donkey Kong? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a hard one. That is like an impossible game. It is it is ridiculously hard. Donkey Kong is mm-hmm. unfair. It's it's oh, it's not even unfair. What's the kind of random? It's random, exactly. It's, exactly, it's random. But apparently, I think I'm sure you've seen the King of Kong documentary. No, I have not, as a matter of fact. I really need to. That's sacrilege. Holy crap. I thought of all the things you'd saw, that would be the first on your list. I'm shocked. I really ought to. You, I know. You, I you know. and your wife have to sit down tonight, and if you want to have the biggest laughs of your entire life, it's in that documentary. Um, for anybody who does not care about arcade games, and you still want to laugh your butt off, King of Kong is this documentary about this guy who's trying to set a world championship Donkey Kong record. Um and he's like an ex-school teacher or something like that. Uh, or or um, he was unemployed at the time, and he was working as a school teacher. Um, and he's trying to beat this record that was set in 1982 by this greasy-ass scumbag, um, who I've actually honestly come to respect over the years. But in the documentary, they make him look really bad. Like, they make him look like he is Satan incarnate. Um, and they, uh, shoot, what's his name? Steve Weeby versus, uh, uh, can't remember what his name is right now, but he's like the owner of this barbecue sauce chain. And he's like, you know, he wears this Captain America tie everywhere. And, um, and he signs his initials oh. on arcade games, USA. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has like long hair. Yes. He has greasy, long mullet. It is absolutely horrific. I saw him in some other documentary. Oh, it was the one, uh, about the Knuckles arcade yes, guy? Yes, the Richie Knuckles one. Yeah, 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 he's in that. Yeah. And he's actually, like, yeah. it turns out he's actually a very, very nice guy. But in this... He was really cool in that movie. He, I guess he, they portray him badly in this Oh, movie. my God. They, like, make him, like, they demonize him. Just to, just to tell a good story, they basically demonize him. And um, they, um, the the whole thing is about how Steve Weeby's trying to break this uh, record um, with through Twin Galaxies, which is, like, kind of the international body that uh, recognizes these records. And um, <laughs> the um, it's basically because of this, like, pitting off these two personalities against each other to challenge each other on Donkey Kong. And Donkey Kong, oh, you got, you got, dude, you got to watch this documentary. You're just going to, you're going to just, there's no way you won't love this. Um, especially if you like, if you like the Richie Knuckles one, this is just like an automatic sell. Um, yeah, I love that one. <laughs> yeah. The um, they build up this big, massive confrontation to the very end of the movie. I won't tell you what happens. Um, but Donkey Kong, what you learn about it is, it is semi-random. So there are patterns to every single thing that happens in that entire game. However, mm. they said, and this is something that's like kind of the magic of arcade games, because you're working with, ah, oh, oh, geez, I don't think the word is, stochastic. There, there's a word I can use to describe it, and it's, it's outside of my, my vocabulary right now. Um, semi-random is a good way to describe it. It is due to okay. the electrical c- conductivity of arcade games that when you have software, software acts in a perfectly predictable fashion. If you click the OK button, it will always just be OK. But arcade games, because of the fact that they rely on a lot of complex switching mechanisms and voltage regulation, um, if the voltage drops or something changes in the electrical circuitry of the game, um, that will, for instance, mean that, oh, well, a clock, uh, a system clock, uh, what are they called, a clock crystal, ran one 
hertz too slow on that cycle, which reduced the timing of this um, of this circuit, you know, 25 um, circuits down the line, et cetera, et cetera. You get this chain effect, Whoa. and the game acts in an unpredictable fashion, which is really crazy. Um, even though it should be like electrical variance, yeah, electrical variance, exactly. And and just hmm. just due to a little bit of a voltage drop, you can have a game play differently. So they were saying in Donkey Kong, the game is completely um, determined. Like every level, the fireball should come at you at the same way. But sometimes, for whatever magical reason, the fireballs will reverse direction. There's no intended randomness built in. There's no like random number generator that's using. It's actually just part of the randomness of electrical com- appliances. So, isn't that bizarre? There's another thing that you lose in an emulated version. Yeah, exactly, exactly. An emulated version cannot possibly emulate that. It'll. So that's why I think, in my opinion, um, when people set these Twin Galaxies records, they're required to do it on original hardware. You're not allowed to set a record with an emulator. Oh sure, yeah, makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, but it's isn't that bizarre that you know we're we're so used to these perfectly predictable computer systems, but um, arcade machines just due to their Due to their um, physicality, the way that they're actually electrically engineered, yeah, they they are, you know, somewhat less predictable than you would expect. That's terrific. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that was, uh, you know, that's me speaking after about ten years of arcade experience. Um, I would love if an electrical engineer actually could explain this to me, or just tell me I'm flat out wrong and that we're all just making up myths about arcade games. But from everyone I've talked to and everything I understand about arcade games, yeah, they they have some built-in some built-in weirdness. Yeah, well, there's like a, an art form that has become more popular in recent years called circuit bending, where you like you literally take a circuit like for some kind of a video okay. output and you bend it a little bit, and that makes it behave in the weirdest way. <laughs> or like, um, no way. if you have a super. If you have a Super Nintendo and you, like, unplug the cartridge by, like, leaning it very slightly, then sometimes some of the sprites get replaced with registers from memory or with oh, other sprites that's or stuff awesome. like that. So this has just, like, become sort of a, a means of taking weird screenshots, like, to make oh, really I had cool no arts. idea people actually did that. It's, it's a weird thing, and, I mean, it's not really good for the hardware, especially <laughs> circuit bending, but uh, that's just another artifact of uh, the uh, randomness and chaos of uh, physical, electrical uh, machinery. Oh, that's great. You reminded me of this great... Um, he's, he's doing a PhD right now, but he's a really, really great guy. His name is Mr. Ghosty. Have I ever mentioned Mr. Ghosty on this podcast? Probably not. Maybe. Maybe? The name is familiar. I don't know. Uh, Mr. Ghosty, if, please, 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 anybody look him up. I think he's on Mr. or Oh, shoot. MrGhosty.wordpress.com. I think he's just Mr. Ghosty on Twitter, something like that. Look this guy up. He's from Manitoba. He's just absolutely brilliant. He does this kind of stuff where he kind of intentionally corrupts game displays and intentionally corrupts games to make them play in a way that they weren't meant to be played. Um, mm. And he does these arcade shows every few months where he'll like, yep, I re, you know, I, I messed, messed up a Miss Pac-Man, so you have to play the entire game upside down. Or I, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. He's really, really funny guy. And, yeah, he's brilliant. I, he decided, un, unfortunately, to ruin his life and do a Ph.D., um, but that's <laughs> it's okay. We all make terrible life choices. Um, the, uh, he's, he's doing that stuff now. But, yeah, I'm sure he's one of the very bleeding-edge people into this because I remember reading his blog like five years ago, and he was really like great at creating this corrupted graphics artwork and, um, and then making it interactive, which was even cooler. Hmm. So yeah, Ghosty cool. Ghostynet. That was his that was his blog, Ghostynet. 
he was he was really really neat stuff. So anyway, yeah, side tangent. Cool. All right, I've got that in the show notes now. Awesome. All right, I'm I'm uh, getting parched and hungry, so I'm very quickly going to mention my last game, and uh, then we will uh, call it a day. Okay. So my very last one is a weird game. It's called Puyan. Have you oh heard of my this one? god! You had Puyan's an arcade game. Puyan is an arcade game. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, there, it had a great um, Nintendo port. Is that my, what you're thinking of? Maybe. You know, it's funny. Mine's like way older than that. I actually had. Oh, you like gave me like heart palpitations. I haven't heard that name in years. <laughs> I had it on cassette tape for the Tandy TRS-80. Um, that was one of those games where, wow. yeah, you'd have you know, like like Trolls was saying, you put the cassette in the machine and you let it load for an hour and come back and you know after you've you know went out and done your groceries for the day it's ready to play um that was the first ever arcade style game i had ever played in my whole life because my mom brought it with her trash 80 it was an actual legal copy of it because i remember it was the only cassette tape that had the the name properly screen printed on instead of written on with a marker um mm-hmm. and oh my god i mean my sister played the living shit out of Pu Yan. I you just like oh glad to hear it oh I haven't thought of that in thirty years that's crazy oh so this is a really really good one and it looks like any other like random Japanese arcade game it really <laughs> doesn't look all that all that characteristic or special or yeah. anything and it's got a weird premise this is part I don't know what year this must have been eighty seven or so maybe oh you know what I think li- I don't know I honestly think Puyen might have been nineteen eighty or nineteen eighty one. Cause of when I, really? No way. Because when, when I had that game as a kid, it was on a cassette tape, and there's no way that it was later oh. than 1982. It must right, be in... Let's look it up. You got, 1982, you got it exactly. Oh, that's wow. funny. Yeah, that's funny. Because I remember we got our, our Trash 80 in 80, 82 or 83, and that's one of the games that was on it. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, there you go. I guess if it was on the NES, too, then it must have been as old as that. All right, well, there you go. So this is a game where... I hope I'm remembering this right. You are like a mother pig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're a pig. You, the jo- your job is to defend your piglets from uh, <laughs> this onslaught of wolves. Yeah. And they're like wily coyote kind of wolves that are trying all these like weird feats of engineering in order to get to uh, <laughs> your piglets. Um, the game takes place on like the face of a cliff, the That's side right. of a cliff. And you're on this like... Uh, pulley system in this little kind of elevator <laughs> car sort of a thing. Oh my god! You're... Two of your piglets are using uh, ropes as pulleys to lower or raise yes. your elevator car. Um, your weapon is a bow and arrow. Yep. And you have to shoot at these wolves that are falling down from the sky. I guess they're jumping <laughs> off the cliff. I don't know. Yeah. Are they they're like falling out of the sky? Do they have balloons? Mm-hmm. Are, are they like floating on balloons, or is that just in my head? They're floating on balloons. Oh my exactly. god! They're fly- falling out of the sky, floating on balloons, and so you can shoot the you can shoot the wolf to kill him, or you can shoot the balloon and watch them fall down. That's right. To their uh, demise. Um, every now and then, you'll get this like special weapon, which is like a big. It looks like a ham hock, sort of. It's like a big thing of meat on a on a bone. You are throwing your leg you off the edge. That. It seems like it. It's kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> this one, so your arrows shoot straight out, 
um, but they like move a little bit slowly. So the challenge is to hit these guys that are moving downward, which with your thing that's moving sideways. Right. Um, but this other special weapon that you get from time to time, which is like the big meat bone thing, it shoots downward and an arc, like first forward, oh, forward okay. until it's going like straight down. And so it's and when you hit an enemy with this thing, as opposed to the arrows, which are destroyed on contact, this thing will go through several oh. enemies. Oh, it's a bonus points by hitting m- multiple guys at once <laughs> with this uh, weapon. It's like your super shot. That's right. Um, I don't think there are any bonus levels or anything. I don't even remember. I don't remember that well. I just remember loving this game so much because it was really challenging. It was really cute. Didn't it have, like, really uh, adorable had, music for some reason? My, my... It did have, it had like, ragtimey sort yeah. of music, maybe. Some, I can't even think of it that much. I just remember, like, getting really excited when I hear the music playing because I knew my sister would be playing Kuyan. Yeah. And this was another one-button arcade game. Yeah. So just nice, simple, fun, really good time. Um, easy to find on an emulator. I bet uh, I bet archives.org has this. Oh, for sure. And it's, like, really, like it was imaginative, you know? Like, there was something actually, like, very unique. I would never confuse Puyan with any other game. And I, you know what the weird thing is? I don't think I know of a single game that actually had the same game mechanics as that ever since. I know. It's, Usually these uh, like, arcade games get kind of like reconstituted into yeah, modern games exactly. or something like that. And this was one where the mechanics didn't really translate into anything else. So yeah, unique experience that's totally worth having. And I, I love this game like crazy. Oh, totally, I'm check so, it out, so glad you mentioned Julian. it because, yeah, that, that game I never had. I had no idea that was in an arcade. I thought that, would get, that game was just a trash 80 game that no one else had ever heard of. That's funny. I think I've played this one in multiple arcades. I can't think of any wow. one experience that comes to mind. Oh, that's amazing. That's, uh, definitely one that I would put uh, a quarter into if I found it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I'm so glad. Yes. So that's our that's our desert island. And folks, even though our island is deserted, you're welcome to come visit it anytime. Exactly. Just bring your quarters. And yeah. It may not have change for you. You can float your way over on a game. That would be even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, I'm pooped, I'm hungry. Me too, I'm starving. Suck the life out of me. I, uh, I just had toast for breakfast, but uh, I'm ready, like, I think I, like, need more than more than supper now. I need, like, double supper. <laughs> like a hobbit. Before we go, okay, before no, we go shit, I had a question for you. Okay, no, going to my friggin' Lord of the Rings again. How far did yes. you get in Lord of the Rings? Oh, I've been slowing down a little bit, but I'm uh, still just in, like, the... I'm I'm almost... Uh, three quarters of the way through the first book. Oh, great! It's I, I think the gonna finish Fellowship it. of the Ring is my favorite one. Period. It's just such a great book. Wow, cool. Yeah, in my course they say that the first one is kind of the best, the most optimistic and happy. Definitely. And the, the, there's it goes nowhere but down the uh, the narrative after that, just in terms of the mood and the urgency of everything going on. So this is the one that you get to read slowly and enjoyably. For some reason, I'm just remembering my girlfriend's dad. He went on this massive rant. I was telling him about your playing the game and um, uh, reading the novel. And he was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. He's he's of the type, I think he sounds like your dad's generation of, you know, games are entertainment products meant for little kids, and it's very weird that you 30-year-olds still play them kind of thing. So I was, he's, yeah. he's an academic, so I tried to kind of sell him on the idea that, yeah, he's doing this online course, very similar to the one that I wrote. Uh, and he's like, oh, very interesting. You know, and I said, yeah, and you get to play the game as well as read the book. And then he, he went on this crazy rant. I, I was, like, pissing myself laughing. Yeah, he's, he, he, likes, he likes his rants, and he um, was reading a film review in this um, uh, film critics book that he had, and the film reviewer actually got the ending to the Lord of the Rings movies wrong. Like, he actually got them wrong. 
Um, oh. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, did he actually watch the movie? Like, this is like supposed to be like a world-respected critic. And I think it was something like he thought Frodo was going to the Grey Havens for a visit, like to see see family or something like that. And I'm like, have you have you? What? <laughs> I know. I was like, have you read the books or seen the movie? Like, that's where that's where old people go to die. You don't come back from there. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I don't know. So I don't know why in my head I thought that was funnier. But I, I was like killing myself laughing the way he worded this. It sounded like yes, Frodo goes for a much-needed vacation to the Grey Havens. I'm like, either this guy's being ultra-sarcastic, or he literally did not understand this this, this series at all. <laughs> the Grey Havens, isn't that at the very end? Yeah, at the very end of the movie, he sails off with Gandalf to basically go die with the elves in the in the West. Um, I thought he went to go live with the... Oh, I guess that was the end of the era of the elves. Exactly. I thought he like, just went to go on new adventures. It wasn't with his family or anything, but I thought it was just that he had... Uh, he had, like, uh, evolved enough as a person. He had developed enough as a character that yeah. he couldn't go back home again. Exactly, and that's basically it. That's, that is really the ending of the book, but I think the implication is, at least as far as, uh, at least the part as far as the Tolkien Middle-Earth thing is, is the Grey Havens are, you know, where the elves go to die and, you know, basically, uh, uh, you know, never never exist as human, or never exist as beings in the middle earth um so i don't know it's huh. it's got a it's got a d- dark tinge to it i don't know if he actually will die going there but it just implies that he's his role in middle earth is over so he might as well be dead mm-hmm. hmm. so sorry i just ruined the entire series for everybody he does die <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> i think statute of limitations is yeah, good that story is what 60 years old <laughs> that's about time Ah, yeah. yes, so, fantastic. What a, All right. Yes, we will, I promise you, listeners, next week, um, since we've done a bit of the potpourri stuff uh, a couple episodes in a row, we'll give you a guaranteed full main topic that we promise to get to within the first two hours of the show. I think. Ooh, that's a tall promise. I know. We shall do our best. I know, we've never done that before, but we can try. I know, we'll do our best. I'm not sure whether, I'll have to confirm, but we might have a guest next oh, week, too. Oh, so awesome. We'll see how that goes. That would be fantastic. It would be. All right. Folks, you're sick of me, and I'm sick of you, so I'm going to tell you how you can find us, and then we're going to F off. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. I like, I like this, uh, the way this is going. <laughs> isn't that mushy? Uh, you can get us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com. Email is squarefm at demodulated.com, and on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. Yes, and I will be thinking uh, of each and every one of you, our listeners. Uh, I really do. I really do. I think of... I think of Francisco, I think of Ben, I think of Avi, I think of Trolls, I think of, um, I think our friend Ryan, who uh, sent in, a, 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 was it a voicemail or an email? I can't remember the difference between You've your... you both now. It was a voicemail, yeah. Um, I think of all of you folks every single day while I'm out at work, and uh, uh, you guys just bring a smile on my face. Yeah, ditto. We're, we're glad to have you all as our listening buddies. It's a, it's a pleasure to uh, do this for you and with you. Yes, and thank you again, Joe, for, for keeping up with you and Bcast. You're, you're, keeping, you're keeping me a happy, happy man, because that Crusader episode was just fantastic. Oh, it was, and kudos to Joe for his description of mod music. He described it very well. Oh, yeah. It, is Joe going to be our mystery guest next week? <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Well, not anymore, is it? He <laughs> <laughs> won't be a mystery anyway, but uh, I'm very much hoping that he will spare the time to uh, conclude our discussion on Star Wars, or at least continue. Okay, it. well, if not Joe, then Bram. If not Bram, we've got to get, we gotta get Anatoly back, too. Um, if, yeah. if Anatoly ever listens past the 45-minute mark, I'm never sure. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, folks. I'm gonna. I'll be thinking about you lots. Love you lots, and talk to you in one week. Yep, yep. Later, guys. Bye. Bye. In the north of Moradell, I'm vicious to a man. Get too close, they'll run you through any way they can. But no, night the kingdom saved with warden at the pass. But count your piggies by the dawn, the soldiers lose them fast. They squeal with joy and owing to light, these piggies are the realm. But count them up, head and all the soldiers lose them fast. Count them up, head and all the soldiers lose them fast.